2: There's no
3: place to escape to. This is the last. On the left. <laughs> yeah, I love your That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Because I didn't really have an opening. All right. Man. Except I do have an opening. Okay. It's my butthole. <laughs> and I honestly, I sit. And I think that maybe we're missing out on a lot of the magic potential of the butthole. Because I I know, again, this is a very butthole-centric... Series we did mm-hmm. one earlier this summer with Jodie Arias that was mm-hmm. another butthole centered well, series was, which we didn't know it was going to be a butthole centered series.
0: yeah that series. was more about the murder yeah. of her boyfriend yes I
1: think. Um, but the <laughs> we, I mean, we went into this knowing that this was going to be a butthole centered series
0: I don't as a victim as as an advocate for the victim let's not have it overshadowed by the butthole the man <laughs> was killed
2: by Jodie Arias
1: no, no about I know
3: Alistair Crowley we knew, Crowley. knew there was going to be a lot of oh, butthole okay. in this
1: series but okay. are we
3: denying our own <laughs> magical potential by not allowing our butthole play to be more like a focus of our lives yeah i mean you
0: i don't did you ask your wife if she would like to do that to your butthole no
3: i don't think so my butthole is kind of like the place where it lived where pennywise Mm. lived (laughs) and where all children's nightmares go to be real (laughs) so i don't want to subject my beautiful wife no to my pant swamp (laughs) <laughs> All right, everyone. Welcome to
0: the last podcast on the left. I am Ben with Henry and, of course, with Marcus. Henry's Butthole, a place of magic and mysticism. Mysticism. Really wonderful. And
3: today, so last week, we were on the passage of the initiate right we were a young boy new to town we just oh. got off the bus in LA and we just met this guy with a big fun hat and he said let's go up to my to my <laughs> crazy mansion and we should all you know let's have a fun game but today is the day when not only we go past just being like a guy who gets to wash all the ceremonies happening while bald man makes a bunch of people like eat peyote while you know like a weird like man dances in the center of everybody else and you have to pretend to be interested huh. today you're the <laughs> (laughs) guy dancing in the middle of the room all right well let's get to it mr marcus parks
0: what do we got alistair crowley part Ooh. The path of adventures awaits. Whoa.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so when last we left Alistair Crowley, he'd just been kicked out of the hermetic order of the Golden Dawn after mounting an ill-advised rebellion spurred on by their refusal to admit him into the second order with all the other practicing magicians. And they face the most, the final, most powerful wizard of all, a locksmith. Indeed. <laughs> Furthermore, Crowley had also lost faith in his former mentor, Samuel Mathers, the former co-head of the Golden Dawn, who'd mm. been forced out with Crowley in the midst of the rebellion debacle. According to Crowley, Mathers had been abandoned by the secret chiefs, that is, if he'd ever been in contact with him in the first place. And it was this contact that had given Mathers his authority over the Golden Dawn. Mm. It's important to
3: say it first. And it's also important to be because you got to be the one in the room, right? And what we did, yeah. what we discovered about Mathers last time is the reason why he was punished is because when you finally become the last person who's had any sort of association with these so-called secret chiefs, you become too powerful to your own constituency mm. and they pull you apart.
1: Mm-hmm. now here at the beginning of part two it might be a good idea for us to further yet briefly define the secret chiefs because they whatever they are play a big part in Alistair crowley's story and that part is especially large in the section of his life we'll be discussing today that's what they should change the name of the washington football team to the,
2: secret chiefs. <laughs> the
1: secret chiefs oh my goodness Essentially, the secret chiefs are cosmic authorities who possess great magical powers in addition to knowledge of the inner workings of the universe that regular people like you or I can scarcely fathom.
3: And I don't even want to fathom. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Washington football, uh, the Washington football club. By the way, you know my name for them, the War Hogs. That's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great name because they all look like to dress like pigs anyway.
1: Depending on who's talking about the secret chiefs, they can be solely supernatural beings, former humans who have ascended to a supernatural state, or they're essentially Doctor Strange, humans huh. with superhuman supernatural powers. Hey, dog me. What if I put it to you that they were all three? Oh, hoo. yep. Also a possibility. You can say whatever the fuck you want to say. It's magic. Dr. Strange <laughs> has really nice hair.
3: He really <laughs> does. And, but there is a team there doing that. So we never forget the makeup
1: and hair team of Dr. Strange. Absolutely. <laughs> the real heroes. Now, since Aleister Crowley already believed at this point in his life that he was one of the most special people on Earth, he in turn thought that he could become a secret chief in his lifetime. And it's exactly this quest with all of Crowley's weird little magic friends <gasps> that we'll be discussing today on part two. It is, I flip-flop,
3: much like Alistair Crowley on a bunk bed, I oh. flip-flop thinking about whether or not I believe or disbelieve Alistair Crowley literally every sentence I read about him. Mm-hmm. He is such an interesting character because, because of that fact, because he's really very fucking slippery, and today we're going to really slide into the guts of whether or not do you believe that a man can channel, something that ends up being one of the more important pieces of poetry, one of the more overanalyzed pieces of poetry to ever be done, that would go on to create a religion of its own and mm-hmm. actually inspire a bunch more mayhem to begin with Afterward, after the fact. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Who a knows? little Ben
0: Kissel non-legal advice here for you, Henry Zabrowski. If in a courtroom and the judge asks, do you believe in Crowley? Say you don't i don't i don't i'm just
3: saying don't put your life on the line can we actually believe can we put it on the record record that he winked when he said that he didn't can we put it on the record no No. wink (laughs) he keeps saying wink your honor
1: and as a quick apology to actual magic users out there some of the rituals we'll be discussing today will be edited for content and clarity and Mm. to the non-magic users you're You're welcome you're welcome Yes. Okay, because we decided to not do this to you this week, because we could have. <laughs> right. If you read thank Pair you, Rambo, Honestly, thank
3: you. Pair de Rambo, the Alistair Crowley book, it does have a beat for beat of all of the rituals that they do. And I tell you what, it is fun. The idea of shouting, holding a dagger, is is fun to me. But it's also how like my eventual like first divorce will play out. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So I
0: kind of it's more just a vision of my future. Well, I do. Ha- I'm happy that you're so proud of yourself. You think, or so cocky, you think you could get married again
3: after your
2: first divorce. <laughs> uh, just, to, just
0: for the audience, just so we can all clear it up. Well, yada, 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 most of the magic. But how much cum was involved? Oh, buddy. Actually, th- on
3: this one, cum is going to be a part three thing. Oh,
2: okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cum on digress. this one
3: is like, imagine a cherry made of cum mm-hmm. on top of a sundae that's mostly <laughs> shit. Oh. That's <laughs> where the cum is at the oh. very end. It's
0: a... Yeah. Wow. And in in that weird analogy, I would like to have the cherry instead.
3: Yep. So you'd rather eat cum than shit? Yeah. I'll I'll say it. Yes. (laughs) Okay. I'll say
1: it too. I'll agree. I'll I'll be brave with you. Cool. Thank you. you. (laughs) Okay. You know what? Me too. All right. We did it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this episode, I mean, anybody out there who's a red Sandman, this episode is pretty much, it's the first half of Preludes and Nocturnes. I imagine that it is directly inspired by this story. Yeah, of course it is. Cool. So after Crowley had his falling out with Samuel Mathers, he boarded a steamship to New York City. All aboard! Where he, like Madame Blavatsky before him, discovered that summers in New York City are fucking miserable. Mm -hmm. Especially at the turn of the 20th century.
3: I tell you what, man, occultists cannot handle a city summer. Both of them (laughs) just bitch. But I will say, Alistair Crowley, in his confessions, he just talks about, mostly he's like, the only possible way I could deal with the New York City heat was constant ice cream. Which is true. (laughs) He talked about ice cream, how that's all he ate in new york was ice cream and also discovered the wilds of iced coffee which is also wow. amazing that iced coffee being the drink of new york city has been around i didn't know that. for like a hundred years so everyone
0: was sweating and percolating with now hot milk in their stomachs slamming down iced coffee i'm an iced coffee drinker
3: must have just been very odorous don't bring up ac's perenium okay because his leaks
1: So because the New York City heat was unbearable, Crowley traveled to Mexico City, where he quickly found a crowd focused solely on bullfighting, cockfighting, gambling and lechery, which was much more Crowley speed than whatever was happening in New York City.
3: Also, a a fun little tidbit that um, that Alistair Crowley liked to say, which is he said, he saw a dead man when he was w- doing one of his many walks. Sure. And he said, the one categorical fact about the Mexican people is that carrion creatures will not eat their corpses because their bodies are too spicy from their food, which <laughs> so is he, completely uh, legit. Really? That's what he said. <laughs> he wrote that in the thing. <laughs> so he said they didn't eat the
0: person who was dead on the sidewalk because he would be too spicy for them, not because it's a human being and cannibalism is wrong.
1: No, you no, no, carrion saying, birds, like vultures like and stuff vultures like that. vultures
3: Oh, Eat them because their food is too spicy
1: wow <laughs> but even though crowley seemed to have been taken a vacation of sorts he never stopped working on magic and while in mexico crowley claimed to have developed the power of invisibility <laughs> using highly detailed instructions he'd taken from the golden dawn rituals it's
3: in the book if you uh, look
2: it
1: up it is in the book how many banks was he found naked in You'll see. (laughs) In the invisibility ritual, Crowley would trace a circle around himself, draw protective pentagrams on each quadrant, and call upon the archangels Raphael, Gabriel, Michael, and Uriel. Finally, he would recite the first Enochian key and invoke the powers of concealment. Alistair Crowley, go, bye-bye. (laughs) <laughs> you're an no. archangel.
0: You've done everything in your life to become an archangel, and all you do is get summoned to see fat men naked.
3: Oh yeah, buddy, <laughs> that's your whole extra ter- That's your whole existence now. Yeah, man, this is your job. You're like a civil servant oh. for nerds as an Anakian angel. Your Horrible. job is. I. You're one of those things. As a wizard, you'd be in the sphere of protection, being like, my taxes allow you to live. <laughs> just you can just see Michael up
0: there in, in heaven with his fingers crossed, being like, be a hot chick doing this ceremony just one
3: time (laughs) nope it's alistair crowley again now it
1: is there's a way more there's way more women in it now than there was then that's for certain now according to crowley the invisibility ritual enabled him to walk through the streets of mexico city wearing a golden crown and a scarlet robe without attracting (laughs) any attention or at least nobody paid him any mind nobody paying attention was actually the point. According to Crowley, he did not actually make himself invisible because that would be ridiculous. Ridiculous! What he claimed (laughs) to have is the ability to cause a blank spot in the minds of people looking at him.
3: I actually don't... Like, I don't disagree with it. You know the look you can get on your face on the train in New York where you do become a part of the tapestry, where mm-hmm. you can kind of just sit in a way, like, after you've spent a long enough time, because somebody like me, who has, like, a cherub-like face and a victim's mentality, they look at you, right. especially younger and they look at you and they want to talk to you, like, how many times they people... They want to would, attack you. They want to attack you, or <laughs> yeah. they want to tell you all their, every single thought they have about the space lasers that the Jews' command, and you're sitting there and you eventually you do create like a face where people don't see you anymore where you kind of just become a dead almost corpse-like person sitting in a chair
1: i've never gotten approached on the subway in 15 years well you're a skeleton
3: man you (laughs) attract no henry attracts a certain
1: kind marcus you more repel and i'm just begging for attention sad (laughs) but concerning crowley's invisibility According to the servers at the Cafe Royal in London, when he tried it there, customers would ask about the man sipping tea in the corner in full magical regalia, mm-hmm. and the servers would say, oh, don't worry. That's just Mr. Crowley being invisible. He's invisible. He's invisible. So everyone's complicit in this. This is unbelievable. <laughs> it
3: reminds you know,
0: it, me of the Mormon church. They could have stopped this right then by being like, get out, get out, <laughs> no. put some clothes on, but instead they allowed him
3: to be a wizard. It brings atmosphere. It's yeah. it's kind of like... What atmosphere? This is back in the day when this is kind of like when you'd have a celebrity come visit your restaurant and it, it makes a big hubbub, but it's kind of fun. Like if someone makes a scene at your restaurant, but if it's Lindsay Lohan, that's free advertising. It's you have sound. Alistair Crowley sitting in his fucking big hat with his sashes <laughs> and the Egyptian shit, you know, looking around going... <laughs> loving my tea today like he's trying to make people look at him and they're all just like because it's also london like new york it's a place where you pointedly don't look at other people i mean
0: just the poor sap who sits down in the chair after him and slides right off oh yeah
1: (laughs) Now, perhaps Crowley had been a little more rattled about his failed rebellion at Golden Dawn headquarters than he led on. In Mexico, he claimed to have performed a ritual to summon a tutor, and lo and behold, his old father figure, Oscar Eckenstein, showed up to do a little climbing. However, once they climbed the first mountain, Crowley was reportedly sheepish when it came to his own magical pursuits, mostly because he didn't want to give Eckenstein any opportunities to make fun of him.
3: (laughs) Eckenstein ruthlessly roasted Crowley every single time he brought up his magic shit because (laughs) Eckenstein was a very He's a professional mountain climber, right? Like this is what he did. So he works in mountains. That's his job. He likes manly things, gripping onto crags. That's his whole life. (laughs) Yeah. And so Crowley eventually be like, "Did I tell you about the one time that I made a demon go away with a (laughs) knife that I purchased from a secondhand store?" And then he just like looks at him. He's like, "I just. We should focus on the the crags. You're right. The crags are a bigger deal."
1: Eventually, Crowley admitted that he was having an existential crisis about his own magical abilities, Aww. and Eckenstein rightly told Crowley that if only he'd focus and have a little discipline, then maybe he'd accomplish something significant. That's boring. But it's the fucking <laughs> truth. Not, this, yeah. is,
3: this is the one thing about ritual magic that I completely agree, and the more and more reading I do about it, you, you must be highly disciplined mm-hmm. in order to complete... All of these different acts, and it's
1: in, it, Crowley desperately needed some focus. Okay. And Crowley kind of sort of took his advice to heart, then climbed a volcano with Eckenstein, uh-huh. where their boots burned off of their feet, and Crowley afterwards started having astral sex with Elaine Simpson, his partner in crime during the Battle of Blith Road. Do you think she knew? <laughs> yeah uh, she did well that was the whole point is that yeah they, they met contacted up. they met up on the astral plane and then cool. had astral sex
0: man it's huh. like sims yeah. yeah listening to van morrison having a nice time <laughs> that's
3: actually very romantic if you have another if you have a partner that's romantically inclined maybe it's a good way to do it especially during mm. quarantine actually yeah. project yourself to each other and
1: have sex with each other it's called zoom, <laughs> it's <laughs>
3: zoom.
0: Yes, <laughs> technology.
1: After that, Crowley continued his world travels, somewhat aping Madame Blavatsky's globe-trekking pursuits in the name of her hidden masters by saying that he was being directed by the secret chiefs. After stopping off in Hawaii for a 50-day affair with a married woman that resulted in a 50-sonnet collection called Alice and Adultery. Ooh. (laughs) Coming soon on Cinemax. Oh, my. Crowley traveled to Sri Lanka, formerly Ceylon, where he extensively studied yoga with Alan Bennett, who was his old roommate back in London.
3: I actually, uh, I started reading some of his essays on yoga because I've also been doing a lot of yoga. Or Uh, or Crowley's. Crowley's Crowley's essays on yoga were very interesting, but it is kind of this idea where he took it to its very spiritual end, but he was obsessed with yoga. And I'm talking past like core power yoga videos obsessed with yoga like these people who could like only speak like someone from socal who only speaks in the fucking in yeah that sort of what is it this sanskrit is namaste.
1: this is not namaste all the fucking time oh, that's but
3: they say all the sanskrit things but you don't know what they're talking about and you're like oh, okay you mean stretch but she <laughs> but crowley were like it became a focus and. Yep. There's one thing about yoga, it does teach focus. And he actually Mm -hmm. kind of abandoned magic entirely during this time period where he went and solely got into getting his core ready. No
0: kidding, I guess. That's very good. I watched Shark Tank. They were talking about goat yoga. That looks like something I could get into. I love You're the- covered in goat shit at the end of it. <laughs> and your claws claws are really are belly, so goats wear little diapers. You didn't watch the episode. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you didn't do the research. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, following that, Crowley traveled to India where he attempted to sneak into a Hindu temple by dressing and acting like a local.
0: Mm. Oh my God. That's what John Candy did in freaking
1: um, Who Who's Framed Harry, Harry Crumb? Crumb. Who's Harry Who's Crumb. Harry Crumb? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it used to be
3: Character work
1: <laughs> Well, The monk saw through the disguise But let him go inside anyway Out of something that sounds like pity And Crowley was able to sacrifice A goat to the goddess Parvati Ah oh, look I did it
3: he said, I did it look what I'm doing I'm like you. You should have done yoga with the goat. Can I also say one thing about (laughs) Alistair Crowley's voice? I do the character of Alistair Crowley from the pictures. I like the idea of doing the evil mighty mighty warlock. But if you listen to him speak at all,
1: well, I mean, I have, but the, what we're hearing is him as a 60-year-old heroin addict. That's true, but it's uh,
3: definitely, uh, his voice is like, <laughs> oh, The, legends are the I think that's more of a wizard's voice, to it be is, honest. Technically. But I like my robust version of Crowley yeah, for this. I'm standard. sure
1: mm-hmm. when he was younger, it was closer to your impression now. Well, by 1902, Crowley had reconnected with Oscar Eckenstein, and the two of them planned what was by far Crowley's most challenging venture yet. Climbing K2, the second highest mountain in the world. So cool. As we said last episode, Aleister Crowley was actually a talented and respected mountain climber. So attempting to be the first person to reach the summit of K2 wasn't out of the realm possibility. On this expedition was Crowley, Eckenstein, a couple of other companions, twenty porters, a library, and a mobile farm of fifteen sheep, thirty goats and various fowl. What, well, were they
0: just rolling him up the hill? What work did he do? <laughs> it's one of those diagonal
1: farms. Uh-huh. <laughs> but since Crowley underpaid and mistreated his porters like he always did, some of them robbed the expedition of supplies and just fucking took off.
3: A dog meat, you're vilifying a man who said that he had to beat the men working for him with sticks in order for them to see how powerful he was. Okay, <laughs> why I are you like- mad at him about this? I don't know why he's getting such heat for this.
0: They're the only- only ones keeping him alive. He's yeah.
3: a
1: British millionaire, but he's <laughs> think he thought of all of this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then, as they went further up the mountain, Crowley had a flare-up of malaria, became exhausted, and suffered from snow blindness. As a possible cure, Crowley tried chugging champagne. <laughs> But to no one's surprise, that didn't really help. No I one thought one calls I,
0: me a freaking wizard when I make that suggestion. I thought that I could
3: heal myself with glam. <laughs> yeah.
1: Drunk and delirious, Crowley began hallucinating uh, butterflies in the snow. Oh, and beautiful, a, absolutely.
3: Um, beautiful. I think we're gonna have to get him. I think we're gonna roll him down there. More head. champagne! Yeah.
1: <laughs> and he eventually became so paranoid that he held one of his climbing mates at gunpoint. Give
3: me the butterflies, you bitch! What? <laughs> Give me being? the butterfly! This is
0: the worst Sherpa trip I have ever I've had! I paid for this whole thing! You barely
3: paid <laughs> us!
1: Although Crowley didn't admit to it, the companion quickly disarmed him and kept the pistol. You take it, I don't even want this gun. <laughs> But still, the expedition—I mean, it was an impressive feat. It lasted 132 days, wow. and at their highest point, the party reached 20,000 feet and stayed there for 68 days straight, Holy setting crap. records for the longest time spent at that altitude. But in the end, K2 defeated them, and the men began their trek back down in late August. But and then, K2, would, but some of K2 wouldn't be reached for another 50 years. Wow, yeah, okay,
3: that's impressive. But he took this as sometimes a big no and a big defeat. Could actually, open up all of these ventures and close a lot of ventures, right? Because mm-hmm. if he did make it to the top of K2, we'd know Aleister Crowley as one of the biggest, most important mountain climbers to ever exist, right? He would have been a whole other dude, yeah. But yeah. him sa- getting told no by the mountain made him redouble down on his other efforts in life,
1: okay. Following K2, Crowley returned to Europe, where he hoped to impress his former mentor, Samuel Mathers, with not only his travels, but also his newfound obsession with the yogic discipline. Look, I can touch my toes. Wow, ah, that's look, very nice. I can touch my butthole, but that's just that's just fun. Yeah, Can you
3: get
0: your head out of there, please? No, but
1: all
3: my back work.
1: However, Crowley was disappointed to find that Mathers was uninterested.
0: What? Yeah, because he just came back with a bunch of stories that are more boring the longer they have. Like, the the more that he talks, the less you care.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Instead, Crowley discovered that Mathers had just pawned some of the luggage that Crowley had left in his care while he was away. Mathers wasn't doing great. No, oh. he was an old man and he
3: lost all of his powers. He
1: was done, man. The magic of pawning, though, isn't that the real it's magic that we're there.
3: talking here? <laughs> you turn something into
0: nothing. Yeah.
1: McCrowley Crowley believed that there was a reason why Mathers had no interest in his adventures in yoga. It wasn't that yoga was fucking boring. No, it was vampires. Yeah,
0: what? That's so much that's Robert so much
1: Pattinson.
3: reasonable, yeah. Yeah, it was Dracula. What that's you? why he didn't like anything so, about, he didn't want to talk about his quadayamas. He didn't want to talk about his
0: warrior threes. So Alistair could not fathom the idea that his stories of yoga were boring. Instead, yeah. he had to come up with vampires as an excuse. I get to tell you what, though. Wow. I have seen that
3: same excuse used in L.A. at yoga studios of why no one was, why the subscriptions were lagging. Yeah, vampires. It's vampires. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know it's vampires, Deborah.
1: Could be. (laughs) Upon discovering the presence of vampires in Paris, keeping Mathers in their thrall, Crowley (laughs) claimed to have defeated the main vampire, an old crone named Mrs. M, in a psychic struggle of magical wills. Wait, did he just beat up an old lady?
3: (laughs) He yelled at her. him. It was all mental. Okay, very good. I, I don't think she even knew she was in a psychic struggle of mental wills. Okay. Because we don't know about this story. We don't know if this story is real or not, but we don't no. you know.
1: Well, eventually, Crowley discovered that the vampire was actually Mrs. Horos, the <gasps> woman who tricked Mathers into believing that she was in contact with the secret chiefs. And this was despite the fact that Mrs. Horos had since found herself in jail after she and her husband had gotten into a sticky situation involving virgins and sex magic rituals.
3: Hey, though, uh-huh. that, that that legitimizes you as a magician. I don't know. Going to, going to jail
1: it, for taking advantage of young virgins? technically it legitimizes you in, in the eyes of the law as a Christian. Criminal, I think. <laughs>
3: no, it's like but, doing your fucking time, dude. It's yeah. like, well, what, what are they? What's it, the mob term? It's getting like your get bones. A, yeah, get your bones in. <laughs> going to school, I think they say going to school.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But since Mathers had completely and totally come under the spell of outside forces, at least in Crowley's view, it gave Crowley justification for declaring that Mathers was definitely no longer in contact with the secret chiefs.
3: The secret chiefs have officially unfriended Aww. Mr. Mathers. That's, uh... Mm, Facebook.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ah.
1: and doing this... Crowley was positioning himself to replace Mathers as the secret chief's contact, which put Crowley on the road to becoming a secret chief himself. This justification also allowed Crowley to burgle Mathers' apartment for Golden Dawn robes and various other magical paraphernalia.
3: Ah, so you don't like my yoga? Well, I will be... I don't need anything from you, Mr. Mathers that knew each other before. Except for this robe, because it was my favorite and it (laughs) fit me best. And I also need... I need this bell because it's a nice shape. And I need these slippers because yes. they look they may as well they are already shaped my feet. Mm-hmm. So I will take these. I need this sash. Yeah. And I need fifty dollars. For um, utilities, I'm actually
0: gonna <laughs> ask you, uh, where is all that stuff that you just burgled from me? Because it's not on you, and I mm. can't see it. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> it's in my trunk. <laughs> Damn it! You can
3: keep it. <laughs> That's how you do. You get shit on it. Yeah. That's how nobody takes your things back. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that would work. But Mathers wasn't the only friend Crowley had in Paris. The other was a painter named Gerald Kelly, and it was Gerald's sister Rose who would become one of the most important people in Crowley's life. After getting everything he needed from Mathers, Crowley returned to his home in Bolskin, off the shores of Loch Ness and invited his friend Gerald Kelly for a visit. Kelly agreed and brought along his sister Rose.
3: She's the interesting lady. Rose Kelly. This is a very very interesting woman and she oh, troubled yeah, but well, also unpredictable. I just yes. realized
0: Alistair loved nuts so much he even lived in a place called Ballskin. <laughs> <laughs> really
3: that's
1: fun. That's strange. I, well, that's fun. That's well, fun. That is, yeah, it fun. is good. That is yeah. fun. Now, hmm. Rose Kelly arrived in a bit of trouble, but Rose Kelly was always in a bit of trouble and very much sounds like the type of person who hates drama. She
3: hated drama, <laughs> dude. She hated drama. She yeah. fucking, she wouldn't listen. She didn't want to deal with it, dude. Fucking uh, in her no fucks given group on Facebook. To yeah. bring back It was huge.
1: She was huge in that. Uh-huh. For example, in her youth, Rose had lied about a pregnancy to obtain money for an abortion, then spent all the cash on new clothes. Yum! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a scam as old scam as time. Scam him, Queen! <laughs> yeah. By the time Rose showed up in Balskin, however, her new pickle concerned her love life. She'd accepted marriage proposals from two men and was having an affair with a third who was himself already married. A lot going on there. A lot, yeah. And at Bullskin, Rose confided in Crowley that her parents had demanded that she choose one of the two suitors so she could get on with the business of being a proper lady. But Crowley's solution was naturally the one that was the most dramatic and troublesome.
3: Well, let's uh, tell me that he became the producer for the dating game. (laughs) Huge. (laughs) he actually was brought in to be like a spiritual advisor for some reason Gerald Kelly thought okay my sister's in this spiritual conjury let me speak to the most spiritual guy I know Alistair Crowley (laughs) and he comes over and this guy sees his opportunity he looks and he sees all of this chaos and the one thing that he loves more than anybody else than being the true diabolist at heart than being like wow now I can really fuck up
0: this scenario (laughs) wow well it's such an easy fix it's such an easy situation to fix yeah oh Um, yeah
3: i mean you could say like choose one or don't choose any or you can go the third way absolutely
1: yeah. yeah the third way is crowley said marry me yep oh no <laughs> i thought you were gonna have a orgy or something with no man, no <laughs> married him well and since he had no scruples about the bonds of marriage she would therefore be free to pursue a life of pleasure since she would technically satisfy her parents command to choose someone Now, for Crowley's part, this whole thing was just another way for him to thumb his nose at convention while also placing him squarely in the middle of someone else's family drama. Because family drama was Crowley's favorite kind of drama. He
3: loved personal drama because you can Mm -hmm. fuck with it yourself. You get to be a god of a bunch of people that don't truly understand they're all being manipulated because Mm -hmm. everybody else thinks that they are the chief
1: manipulator. He sounds like a psychic vampire himself. He is. Yeah. For Rose, this whole thing was a convenient lark, even if it was a long shot. So the next morning after Crowley proposed the idea, the two of them found a lawyer to seal the union, which is allowed in Scotland. In mm. Scotland, you can just go to a lawyer and say, hey, we're married and that's legal.
3: That's okay. great. And apparently you were also legal. You are you can get married without choosing to get married if you and another person's knees also look completely alike. Because really? they don't believe. <laughs> because it's, it's something about the Scottish, like, novels. Scottish Knee novels love. are very yeah. interesting. It's like a fingerprint there.
1: Wow, wow. didn't know that. And when they said "I do" in the presence of a lawyer, Crowley pulled a dagger from his stocking <laughs> and kissed it with all oh. the passion he was supposed to have for his bride. <clears throat> oh, come on, culp my, my tongue! Yeah, you would because you <laughs> you're looking at the knife.
3: It is absolutely sick. It's and nice. yeah. but I will say honestly, love, this is the happiest I've ever been, and You're I'm excited. Yep. Uh, maybe <laughs> someone should fetch me a bandage. <laughs> 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 uh, well, out of uh,
1: control. <laughs> well, by that time, Rose's brother Gerald had heard of the plot. But he arrived in the lawyer's office just after the declaration to Mary was made. And he tried punching Crowley in the face (laughs) when he heard that they'd actually gone through with their presumably drunken plan.
3: I just can see this. I was like, who would I choose? I'm just trying to think who's the most unpredictable worst of my friends that I would bring into like guide Jackie. Ooh, into, like, a big, like, decision. I'm trying to figure out who I would choose. Yeah, and I'm interested feel. to hear
0: who you, who you choose, actually.
3: Honestly, I'm trying to think it would technically be somebody like, which we should beep out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> come in there, and then you just, like, find out that, like, you know, you show back in, you're like, okay, what's going on, guys? What's the decision? And you see Jackie going, like, I'm marrying you. Oh, my. <laughs> be like, what? It's happening
0: thankfully, Jackie has a wonderful stable relationship, yeah. so you won't have okay. to do that
3: I made a you,
0: it's a absolutely not Jackie impression
1: of Jackie, <laughs> but what started off as pretty much a joke very quickly became a serious affair. After the ceremony, the two of them decided to take a long honeymoon, despite the fact that Crowley had very quickly and perhaps rightly judged his new bride to be a slow witted alcoholic. Mm. Oh. But after a few weeks of traveling together, Crowley said he realized that there was something special about Rose Kelly, calling her, quote, one of the most beautiful and fascinating women in the world. And the best part of all, she was there. Fascinating. <laughs> Part of this, of course, was the fact that Rose was nearly as sexually debaucherous as Crowley. Oh, yeah. But outside of that, perhaps the most important aspect of their relationship was that when it came to magic, whatever magic is, Rose Kelly was not only all in immediately, but also seemed to be naturally plugged into the source, or so Crowley claimed.
3: He sort of almost put it on her. In a way. Like, he put this role on her. And then she kind of, if you do believe it went this way, I think there's like a 50-50 scenario here. Mm-hmm. Rose Kelly was inspired by Alistair Crowley a little bit because of his domineering personality and because mm-hmm. of just the... The excitement of it all. You are married to the quote unquote most wickedest man in the world. Like this guy well, is trying. This well, is not bad. yet. This is back when he was nobody. But He was he just was, some guy.
1: She, he, he was her brother's friend. Her he brother's his, weird friend.
3: He had his gleam in his eye. Yeah. He had a Aww. gleam in his eye. You'd say it's what the uh, Gold Digger song from uh, Kanye. You remember oh, Kanye? Oh, I love or it's Kanye. Just like, I like
1: him more
0: now that he's a cult leader. Oh, sure, really, sure,
3: yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, he, she, saw a guy, she saw him have like, he had a spark. He's energy. Yeah. So maybe she wants to join in on his psychological games a little bit. Maybe
0: or- she's hammered. Yep. <laughs> she is
1: absolutely <laughs> hammered. It helps. All it's magical lubricant. <laughs> <laughs> so in the course of their globe-trotting honeymoon, Crowley and Rose went to Cairo, where Crowley persuaded a guard to let them spend the night in the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid of Giza. Dude, this is dope. That's dope. Yeah. That's cool yeah. as hell. Yeah. Once inside, Rose assisted Crowley as he attempted to invoke the god Toth, the Egyptian god of writing, wisdom, and magic. Hmm. According to Crowley, an astral light filled the pitch dark chamber during the ritual (sighs) to the point where they no longer needed candles. But you can see how in that moment,
3: of all the places in the world, you're in the center of one of what is... Supposed to be a cavern of mysteries, one yeah. of the most important places in magical history. One of with like it is, you can kind of see how if there was magic to be found, it would be there and yeah. in that scenario. And sure. maybe it is a, again a group hallucination or something like that. But imagining this cavern filled with light is something that I really think could have happened, even if it was just to them and them alone. Sure.
1: Mm-hmm. After Cairo, Crowley returned to Sri Lanka with Rose, where they engaged on a hunting expedition. <laughs> Crowley's goal was to kill a few bats so he could make a waistcoat out of bat fur. Sure. <laughs> That's not
2: he, a, he was a terrible
3: a hunting expedition. Dude, he is maybe one of the worst hunters to ever live. <laughs> this comes up again and again, where he just goes and just starts shooting
1: that shit. He's yeah. not well, good. You know. He's, yes. Yeah. But one, wo- <laughs> but all he did, he managed to wound one bat, and that bat got tangled up in Rose's hair, which resulted in an oh my understandable freakout. Oh. Drink
3: booze, you must calm down, woman. Drink
0: booze. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is there something in my hair?
1: No. <laughs> okay. Well, Crowley really thought nothing of it because he never cared what happened to other people. But that night, he was awoken by a stark naked Rose. Clinging to the bed frame and squeaking like a bat. Oh my god, she turned into a bat. No, I was worried this could happen. And when Crowley tried pulling her down, she bit him. Doctor, you
0: would not believe it. My wife turned into a bat. And then she
1: mimicked the last moments of the bat who attacked her.
3: It is, it's wild. You know what I mean? Yeah. She, is,
0: you know what? That is wild. That it is. is wild. Yeah. yeah.
1: Crowley later said it was the finest case of obsession that he'd ever had the good fortune to observe. Because oh the whole time he's goodness. like,
3: fascinating. Yes. Exactly. It's the same shit. As soon as she starts acting like a bat, <laughs> he's like,
1: I love this woman. Yeah. yeah. I wish she got bitten by a horny orangutan. <laughs> that would be oh. fun too. <laughs> but this sudden change in behavior might have had something to do with the fact that Rose Kelly was. Already pregnant with Crowley's first child, I've actually heard that quite a bit. Is that
3: uh, a thing? A phenomenon with pregnant women is a lot of times they will cling to a fan with their feet, and um, oh, they enough. they like to let the scat. The pregnant women call their their poop is scat, and their <laughs> really? scat drips down into the ground. Yeah, it's a very common. It's very common with pregnancy. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, once they learned that Rose was pregnant, they began making their way to Europe. Although Rose is heavy. Heavy drinking never stopped once the entire time. They did, however, make another stop in Cairo. And it's here that Crowley would ascend into the ranks of magical legend. This is
3: the moment for Alistair Crowley. This is, again, we'll, we'll, as much as we're covering it, this is the most important thing that he will ever contribute.
0: Yeah. And yeah. of course, we do. We would be remiss if we didn't mention Alistair was the first one to wear the I'm with stupid shirt with the arrow pa- pointing to his spouse. And then mm-hmm. she was wearing the shirt. I'm drinking for two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, so they were, that,
3: that's pioneers in, in t-shirt stuff. Though. I can't believe they were the first one to come up with the Flying J graphic tee.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> On March 16th, 1904, Crowley was trying to entertain Rose by invoking air elementals called sylphs with the same rituals he'd done in the Great Pyramid. And Jokingly, Crowley had begun to refer to his new wife as Uarda the Seer, but she wasn't the least bit amused with the sylphs and she was about to live up to her new nickname.
3: Well, according to Alistair Crowley in his confessions, I read a little bit of the Equinox of the Gods. that talks about his, it's, his diary selections from when this, all, this time period was happening. And he had actually given up on magic uh, mm-hmm. for a long period of time where he wasn't really dabbling into it. And this kind of, he kind of got back into it really frivolously. Like all of this, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. From what I read, he was kind of like dabbling again. And yeah. so as he was starting to do these like processes and, you know, and he would he started calling her the seer. And it was very sarcastic because she was not a seer. You know what I mean? Like she was, <laughs> she was a, a drinker. She was a. Yeah. She technically was like a problem. Yeah. Um, he was also a problem, but she was an extra new problem. Um, but something kind of clicked immediately.
1: Yeah. Well, as Crowley was summoning sylphs, Rose kept repeating the words, they are waiting for you. Which Crowley found super annoying and just kind of blamed the repetition on Rose's heavy drinking or her pregnancy. One yep. of the two. Oh. <laughs> Cro-
3: <laughs> it's just a tumor that grows up into a man. Yeah, that you have
1: to <laughs> take care of. And, yeah.
3: <laughs> I hate it. Uh.
1: You're being super annoying, Rose, why don't you have a drink? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I'd yeah,
3: yeah. Be like, you're right, I should have Honestly, my baby did feel like it was sober enough. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that's not good. Crowley tried summoning the sylphs again the next day, but all Rose would say then was, it's all about the child, or she would say, it's all about Osiris. Hmm. Finally, on the third day, Rose broke out of simply repeating single sentences and told Crowley that the one who was waiting that she'd spoken of previously was the Egyptian god Horus, and Crowley had somehow greatly offended him. Now from what Crowley later said, he was floored by this mention of Horus because according to him Rose had no knowledge of Egyptian mythology it wasn't quite as common to know about this shit uh, back then as it was today as it is today to
3: be able to pick it up out of a lineup he said he delivered her there was 12 questions that he asked her and in the equinox it shows the questions that he asked and apparently she nailed each one of them she went he basically said well does he come with this color and then he wrote a series of names on a sheet of paper and he said which one of the is it one of these names And she circled Horus and then she did a couple of the things that it would require you to have some working knowledge of Egyptian secret schools to understand whatever the fuck it was that he was talking about. So she either could have absorbed it passively listening to him babble or (laughs) he or this is channeling which we don't know what the nature of channeling is is channeling literally another intelligence or is it your subconscious speaking to you that's
1: all over on the map don't fucking know or collective unconscious plugging into something
3: all that kind of shit or is it just a more allegorical story that crowley's Mm -hmm. making up to set up the mystic like base for what will be an incredible book of uh, spiritual poetry.
1: All now, right. Well, next, Rose further proved her connection by taking Crowley to the nearby Bulak Museum, which was filled with ancient Egyptian artifacts. From across the room, she pointed towards an exhibit that depicted Horus in a rare form known as Ra Kuit. But the kicker came when Crowley walked up to the exhibit and saw the catalog number. It was the same number that Crowley's mother had supposedly given him in childhood. The number that marks the great beast in the book of Revelation. Six, six, six. Satan, Satan,
0: Satan.
3: Mr. Crowley. (laughs) It all went like, what? Because again, from the equinox, what I will say is because it comes from his diaries and it's the day to day. I don't know what I ever believe about Alistair Crowley, but the way he talks about how surprising it was is very interesting because he does sound like a person that each time these synchronicities are happening, he's just like, oh, fuck, like I'm about to hit the magical jackpot. It sounds more like he's excited. He's like, oh, it's happening. Oh, it's happening. And he started like (laughs) writing about it. It's very it's a it's an interesting tone to hear from his head
1: at the time. Now, once Crowley saw this, he very quickly hopped on board with whatever trip Rose was riding and took her every direction because she was obviously plugged into something special. So Crowley performed a ritual that Rose came up with, and he did it in full robes in front of an open window for all to see in ridicule which didn't really set well with crowley but no. he still trusted the process but
3: think about this he's doing all of this shit because now he's just like okay that's it that's it, that's it. That's okay all right so we're, we're improvising we're improvising yeah. we're gonna make all this shit up <laughs> so he gets all of the robes, and he had to steal and this is why he had to steal him guess like, sure he's got all of his gear and he's doing but it's it's weird it's actually the most in my mind it sounds like it's the most he's ever been in the moment yeah. He's so planned and such this. Like he's such a fucker. You yeah, think he's such this guy. Everything has been done as like for selfishness and all the shit. But now he's actually doing super embarrassing shit, and he's yeah. just like, "This better pan out. This better be a thing."
0: That's amazing how much fun you can have while simultaneously drowning a baby in alcohol.
3: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Actually, it sounds like a lot of fun <laughs> to drown a baby alcohol no, <laughs> fetus. I mean, honestly, what,
1: the, what did the fetus absorb? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, once the ritual was over, Rose channeled the Egyptian god Horus and told Crowley that the equinox of the gods had come once more. Yes! Ooh. Mankind was entering a new era, and Crowley had been chosen as the voice of the next age. Rose then told Crowley that even though he had never finished the Abramellan ritual, his guardian angel nevertheless wanted to make contact. And the name of Crowley's guardian angel was Awas. <gasps> oh cool. I, is it
3: Awas? I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's one of those where it's you know the more, I and more videos i so, was sounds better and instead of awa awa sounds uh, like some like hickey but i okay
3: i guess so you know AWOS. i like thelamites, better thelamites 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 thelamutes i Are honestly stroke every video i see <laughs> pronounces things differently but
1: i think that's a part of the spirit of philema as we'll get into okay mm. Well, AWAS was a secret IWAS. Nah, now I can't nah, make the decision. I don't know. Marcus, I don't know. You, can, you know what? You can say it both ways. Hey, every man uh, and every woman is a star. You can do whatever fits your scenario right now, Mark. Sure. Hell yeah, brother. Well, AWAS was a secret chief of the highest grade. He was an ipsissimus. Oh, and, that's and, a pretty and, high grade. <laughs> yes, it is.
0: It's, it's the, the top.
1: <laughs> oh. And it was his instruction that at noon on April 8th, 9th, and 10th, Crowley was to sit at the desk next to the altar that they constructed in their hotel room so he could write down everything Awas had to say. Crowley did as he was told and claimed that for three days straight at the appointed time, a musical voice with a strange, unrecognizable accent came from over his left shoulder from the farthest corner of the room. Oh my Do what was-
3: thou wilt be to corner do what thou wilt, <laughs> shall be the whole of the law there. Okay? You know, every man and every woman is a star there, buddy. See, but now uh. I
0: think that you guys would all agree with me, and I think Crowler, Crowley would as well. Taking down the dictation is actually more difficult than dictating. I'm going to attack you. <laughs> I'm going I'm to so attack you say, I'll say, I'll fucking kill that you. Was I'm going
1: to fucking Watt. kill you. Fucking send, was I'm going to send you anthrax <laughs> in the fucking mail. <laughs>
3: Whoa, isolate that. Isolate <laughs> that. <laughs> but it is interesting that it's the
1: exact same
3: story for Mormonism. Isn't it right, folks? Isn't that that's right? right? Also, that's right. now I just pictured a, uh, Ian
0: from Anthrax showing up at my door That would be cool. Special concert <laughs> just for me. Whoa, that's what he meant.
1: It's allegorical. Yes. Two minutes. Well, for exactly an hour every day, for three days straight, AWAS spoke and Crowley wrote down everything AWAS said. And what Crowley channeled, which was suspiciously similar in style to everything else Crowley wrote, came to be known as the Book of the Law.
3: It is, though, his most important and beautiful work. When you read Mm -hmm. the Book of the
1: Law, it is a very, it's moving in its way. (laughs) Like, I mean every man and every woman is a star is a great fucking line it's a
3: great line um, do as thou wilt will be the whole of the law Is the, it becomes the center of what would become Thelema so the book mm-hmm. of the law is what according to Alistair Crowley he was just as stunned as anybody else that this thing came to him and fell out of his mouth when you listen to Thelemites now because Thelema would go on to become now it's viewed as an actual religion all based on the analysis of the book of the law or and then eventually the Liebers, right the very Various mm-hmm. books that Alistair Crowley will write over the next couple of decades that are all trying to decipher what he meant by the book of the law and what was inside of the book of the law so well,
1: from what from what Crowley said like he doesn't even understand like the last third of the book of the law and actually said he didn't even like it but he's just quote unquote channeling AWAS.
3: it's just coming through me and that's not unheard of in literature like you no? know with uh, Gary Lockman does really good examples of how like the spake Zarathustra would have that that Nietzsche book came mm-hmm. from what he called divine inspiration Um, Rilke also heard poems in his sleep Alice Crowley would say that I listened to he said he swears that AWAS was a voice in the room speaking to him and Mm. it came through this whole book and so now what this book kind of outlines is this idea of we talked about a little bit last episode of will and love like do what thou will shall be the whole of the law love under will Uh, this concept of love and will and this idea of finding your true purpose what it will boil down to with Lima really is is a Crowley packaged magical right system that the whole point is to get you down to who you really are. Because once you come down and find what your true will is, because the true will is never actually mentioned in the book of the law that term is not not written he Hmm. uses the term pure will which is the idea that we all kind of gravitate to do certain things and what it is is we have to get everything else out of our way spiritually mentally physically blah blah blah, in order to live each one of our own specific
1: truths well that's a lot to package into a single tiktok but i bet you they try (laughs) they do (laughs) I mean, you know, when he says every man and every woman is a star, you know, he's it's I, I don't know. I, at least one of the interpretations is that, you know, every person has an orbit and trajectory all their own. And the problems yes. in our life arise if we move out of our trajectory or if someone moves out of theirs and interferes with ours, which to me, that kind of sounds lonely as fuck. Yes. Yeah, it sounds uh, like a really reinforcing the caste system a little yeah, bit. <laughs> exactly. No, it's it's stay in your lane. Yeah, uh, I don't like yeah. that. No, I fucking hate it. Unless I you're actually d- driving, yeah, then you should is. stay in your lane. <laughs> so if you're driving right now, that
0: is, you got to stay in that lane. The thing is, and when he says love, he doesn't.
1: And when he says love, he doesn't mean love. How we? No, it's force. All. It's it's a life force. Love is the very
3: universe that we live in. Like it's it's a whole. Thing it's it's constantly it with- being analyzed and you're in critiqued and looked at and you, the whole thing about the book of the law and what a good guy a good person I was following is a guy named Freder Oz I was watching his YouTube version I guess it's the version of Doctor Oz but for Thulema he <laughs> said. That everyone's personal reaction to this material is your will. And and you will you have to find your own way in this in this system, if you were. But I think that the most telling thing is how Thalema was a direct influence on Scientology, and Scientology was completely <laughs> inspired by Thalema, which I think is yep. a very interesting sidebar to this conversation.
0: Love is a battlefield. I'm starting to think that we should no longer have any hotels. <laughs>
3: this- <laughs> Is there anything, has anything
0: ever been good? Any ideas well, uh, uh, ever come out of a hotel room that, are, that is good?
1: Well, for me, like, you know, this is again, this is Crowley's fundamentalism coming into play. I mean, a preordained orbit that smacks of Calvinism. Sure. You know, Calvinism, it's part of the belief that, you know, part of it is it's the belief that God has laid out our paths far in advance and we have no choice but to follow them. My personal reaction to Thalema is I fucking hate it yep. because I'm a strong believer in the notion of Free will Because no goddamn religion Whether it's the Lama Or Christianity Or whatever Is going to tell me What I'm fucking capable of And neither should any of you
3: I like hearing this passion I do like to hear the passion (laughs) But
0: I am pretty sure That God When he saw us Babies growing up
3: he said, one day they're going to be podcasts. But that's what people, <laughs> but then that's what I was
1: talking about we with our having, production we were, call. Yeah, we were having this conversation, actually.
3: Maybe the reason why is that we have been living our pure will up to this time, and we've managed to lock ourselves. We got onto the quote-unquote right track accidentally, and now we're we're working it, right? But again, Marcus, you're allowed to have this reaction, even within the world of Philema because of every man and every woman is a star. You're allowed to fucking feel this way. Oh, They can't pull us in. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, this notion of predestination could, as I said in the first episode, it could result in some pretty heinous behavior if the idea is taken to its extremes. However, Crowley at one point walked this back, saying that a true will that hurts others is not a true, true will. No. And we did get some criticisms from modern Thelemites for failing to mention this in the last episode, which I understand. But what I'll say is that my interpretation came from reading the principles laid out in the book of the law and extrapolating from the example Crowley himself set by living his life as a childish bastard from beginning to end. In this, I can't separate Alistair Crowley from Thelema any more than I can separate Joseph Smith from Mormonism. I don't know if there's in- anything childish about all that anal sex. <laughs> <laughs> not, any- oh not these days. God. Well, intent matters. And from my understanding, intent goes double in magic. And Crowley's intent was almost always shitty and selfish.
3: But I will say, after the fact, Crowley, though, ever present and ever understanding of as a what a quote unquote capital G great person, his standing in history. So he yeah. will spend many decades separating himself purposely from the concepts of Thalema. Keep saying, I am just the receiver. This came through me, and it's completely open interpretation. And the one, the main good thing that Thalema brought, which is he was the one that created an open system of magic, away from the walled gardens of the Golden Dawn and Which is that, great. that's what he that was his main purpose was that I took all of these supposedly secret teachings I regurgitated into an very important piece of magical poetry that is so deep enough that it can continue to be analyzed until now. Like over a hundred years later, so he is. You know, it's one of those things. He he let the birds go, oh, right. and now the birds <laughs> shat all over fucking everybody. This is why you
1: never ask the <laughs> naked guy at Starbucks what they're what they're writing.
2: <laughs> never ask. Assume
0: it's a bad
1: screenplay. That's the thing is that you know it doesn't mean that all of Crowley's ideas are easily dismissed. I actually like some of them. Like the central message of the book of the law is that a new age, the third of its kind had dawned for all humanity in 1904 and Crowley had been chosen to let us know the first age, the age of the mother had belonged Mm. to ISIS and was marked by nature worship. The second, the age of the father belonged to Osiris and was marked by patriarchal religions like Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Hmm. According to Crowley, though, this current age, which we've been living in for the last 117 years, is the age of Horus, the child. The
2: child. Mark- the child. <laughs> Why is that? Okay.
1: And that's marked not by harmony and understanding, but by destruction, chaos, force, and fire. And what I find interesting about this is that this proclamation was made a full decade by before the outbreak of World War One, And I don't think anyone would argue that the 20th century, barring a decade of peace here and there, no. has not been a century of destruction, chaos, force, and fire on a scale never before seen. When do we have the generation of, like, competent adult? <laughs>
2: like, when do we, does that
3: ever happen? Oh, you're talking about, oh, Bidenism, the the, the lore of true, the true power <laughs> of centralism. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write
1: it. In the eon of the child, we are not beholden to either mother or father gods, but are instead beholden only to ourselves. This, Crowley believed, was the age in which people could become gods if and only if they followed what else but their will. And guess what? That also sounds like
3: Mormonism. Um, Guess what that also sounds like? Scientology. It's the same. It's a system. So it's about do you react? But there's no
0: acting classes.
3: No. That's the problem <laughs> yes. for me. And there the might problem. be some OTO acting classes. Stand up. Stand up. i am an ashtray honestly i I can tell some stories um, about being a human ashtray as as an actor
1: well outside of the eons crowley also introduced some key concepts that he would use throughout his life although most of them were again concepts taken from his christian upbringing in particular crowley leaned heavily on his childhood favorite the book of revelation he put himself in the role of the great beast taking the name Megatherion, and Ooh. placed himself right in the middle of the story. He and found found him- the he, yeah. he found himself in the Bible. That's
3: what he did. He found himself in the Bible. That's what he said. And then he used that positioning to create a whole magical system where it will be aped by Anton LaVey later on and the idea of adopting the the villain's point of view, truly to be the quote-unquote devil's advocate because it's a story that quote-unquote no one's telling, really.
1: Mm-hmm. And this right here is part of why I have a hard time separating Crowley from Thalema because Crowley made himself a central character in the cosmology. And not only that, another key concept seems to have been inserted into Thalema solely for Crowley's own pleasure or his own sadism, depending on your view of Crowley. But this is why he kept backing himself out later on because Crowley... Crowley, again,
3: he keeps saying, I'm just the messenger, guys. I'm just the guy who tells everybody the story, guys. But it takes a special asshole to tell a story like this. Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. In more ways than one. From Revelation, Crowley also took the character of the Scarlet Woman. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that was was pretty good. Thank you. (laughs) As opposed to the Great Beast, which was something only Crowley could be, The Scarlet Woman was a sort of office that could be held by whatever woman Crowley chose. Essentially, the Scarlet Woman was there to help manifest the energies of the Eon of Horus through raw sexual energy, which pretty much made the Scarlet Woman no more than a walking, talking sex tool for Crowley to use, or, using a term Crowley himself later coined, a fuckstick. Hmm. even in first of all that's
0: not even a prop it's a, they would be a fuck hole um that doesn't make any sense he's the fuck stick you should write a so dictionary easy.
1: thank you but he's just oh, actually, taking no, the same fuckstick, pow- that was it Now that I'm thinking about it, that was in his uh book of homosexual poetry, the anal song of Solomon. So fuckstick <laughs> would have been his uh, his that's, penis. That's his penis. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was wrong. Then, well,
0: thank yeah, you. the walking talking sex tool judgment still stands. I just love that he still, even in magic, took the power structure for Mad Men, the TV show. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Even in magic, the woman's like, so I'm just a secretary, you fuck.
3: You play the girlfriend. <laughs> Think about how exciting it is. But I'm the great beast itself. In charge of the new Aeon, we're we're bringing in the dawn of destructive child. Like
0: the CEO, let's say. And
3: you're the girlfriend. The
0: secretary who was
3: also the girlfriend. I'm Kevin James. Okay. You're Leah Remini. Oh,
0: (laughs) lucky
1: guy, honestly. Yeah. And conveniently enough. Crowley's first scarlet woman was Rose Kelly, who just happened to be sitting in the hotel room with Crowley while the book of the law was being written. Did they do a job interview? Was she just (laughs) drunk enough
3: for the role? No, no, no. she was just drunk enough for the role.
1: (laughs) as far as the veracity of the book of the law goes, Crowley claimed that the authenticity for the tome was located in the book itself. But as Lachman writes, you need an insane knowledge of both the Kabbalah and various other hermetic disciplines in order to prove it. But there's supposedly proof there. Okay. You,
3: you can see in how hard the book is to read. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel the same way I mean I felt the same way about Dianetics is that as you go through Dianetics but do you think this is harder than Dianetics this I think is you no of... Dianetics is harder oh than, it is okay. Dianetics is far harder to understand than the book of the law the book of the law is poetry okay. so in my in your the thing about what's beautiful about being an art piece is that you can like one thelemite I was watching said like the idea that like certain scenarios in your day will remind you of quotes from the book of the law that you will kind of it accidentally works itself where Dianetics is an absolutely impenetrable manual written by a man making it up sentence by sentence because he knew in the end you had to create a this is the lock i'm the key you have Me. to have the two to work and that is why lrh was a fantastic businessman and crowley <laughs> was just a poet
0: yeah lron hubbard i like his hat better too because he was like i could be on the water or i could
1: be on land regardless though the ideas no matter what you think about Crowley or how he wrote it, or even what he, no matter what you think about the book of the law, the ideas are still talked about today. Look at 100, us. 114 years later, all over the Internet. Yeah. And it's arguable that Crowley's doctrines for ill or good were among the most influential ideas of the 20th century. Culturally speaking, the 20th century would look different if you pulled Crowley out of the middle of it. Yes. However, the book of the law itself would not be published for many years to come. After returning from Egypt, Crowley, quote unquote, lost the manuscript and it wasn't for another five years until he found it again and saw it into print.
3: It's really strange. I do find that very interesting because this did really mean a lot to him, but he put it away on purpose. purpose.
1: I think what you said yesterday, when we were talking yesterday about this, I think that rings true that he was scared of this. Yeah. Cause I, it makes a lot of bold claims and I don't think he he knew that he did not yet have the, uh, the clout to make people believe this. He wasn't
0: basically lost it. Like we lose our mask whenever we're rushing out from, uh, kind of go to work.
3: Kind of, but he also realized he wasn't the quote unquote man. The thing about people like Aleister Crowley, Madame Bolvatsky, these people create a, what I view as a magical silhouette, right? Where you can draw a silhouette of Aleister Crowley, a line drawing, and you'd recognize who he is if you were remotely, any remote idea that you've seen him before. And he wasn't yet the man in the silhouette that no. needed to be bigger than life. To sell this to people for them to believe it,
0: so you have to start by drawing a literal fuck stick,
3: (laughs) and then it 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 blossoms. That is a lot of hermetic magic. (laughs) Okay, you always stumble onto these things. I got
1: it. I get it. I get it. (laughs) But even though the book itself wasn't released immediately, Crowley still felt that he'd earned a higher magical grade. So he bestowed upon <laughs> oh, himself <yeah. laughs> the rank of adeptus major, sixth degree, because he was still playing by the rules of the Golden Dawn. Yeah, but who, but doesn't someone have to appoint you these things other than Dude, yourself? He does his own. It's kind of like,
3: you know, when does police departments. Does he have a ceremony in front of a bunch of mirrors? No. when <laughs> You know how police departments do like inner, like when they do inner investigations over this stuff and they oh, say, yeah, we the nailed it. Yeah, yeah, we nailed it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's doing that, where he's just like, we're just going to have to do a bit of an internal affairs search about whether or not I'm a great wizard. But he's the whole precinct. <laughs> Let me just ask myself, Alistair, how we doing? You're crushing it. Thank you. <laughs> a plus.
1: Well, all right.
0: It seems to be working for him.
1: Can I give myself a raise? Yeah, you can give yourself a raise. All right, great. I give myself a raise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't fire me. I quit. I'm you. What? What? So once Crowley and Rose Kelly return to Europe... Crowley began trying out some of the more instructive activities that Awas had revealed during his three days of communication. Crowley made cakes out of wine, honey, olive oil, and minstrel blood for ritual use. Although the eating of the cakes wasn't the point. You're not supposed to eat these things. Whatever.
3: What is in this? This You're eating the decorations. Oh, wow.
1: According to Crowley, these cakes attracted a species of beetle that couldn't be identified by the best entomologists in London.
2: Oh,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. We're the beetle boys. We're attracted to pussy blood. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Beetle boys. <laughs> I like it. Honestly, it's so much better getting into these pussy blood because you really have to cut it by just leaving yourselves and a bunch of rusted nails. This is <laughs> great. <laughs> My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops reynolds wrap reynolds wrap
1: potato wedges wedges olive oil salt Mwah. well done hon well done chef right with reynolds wrap cooking becomes so easy you can feel like the chef of your kitchen easy prep easy cook easy clean reynolds wrap well these beetles were however magical if one of the beetles were to be named after an enemy and squashed, the enemy was supposed to die. And oh. if Crowley ate one of these beetles, he found that he became strong and lusty.
0: Ah <laughs> oh, man. Didn't a person die on Fear Factor, that TV show, for eating a bunch of beetles? I feel like a, if you eat beetles, you, you may die. You might. It's, it's an urban legend. I don't
1: think anyone died off of Fear Factor. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs)
0: i actually don't know i think somebody did maybe 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 we'll we'll just assume it was a florida competition based off of something they saw on fear factor (laughs) but without the regulations
1: that's that's what we'll say but interestingly or perhaps just coincidentally alistair crowley would appear on the cover of sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band by who else but the beetle. Whoa, pussy blood beetles. Whoa, 63 years after AWAS gave him the strong and lusty beetle cake recipe. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, did you just refer to a recipe
0: as lusty? My problem no, it's, is just no, saying it's the
1: stro- the beetle cake is strong and lusty. It's the strong and lusty beetle cake. It's like it's like fresh it's like fresh and fluffy fudge.
3: Okay. Mm, fresh and fluffy fudge. Triple F. And I also think it would be weird if you just said beetle cake, beetle cake, beetle cake, and then just a fucking pile of menstrual blood and olive oil shows up. That's
1: not a, that's not a cake at all. Perhaps spurred on by this strength and lust, Crowley wrote a letter to Samuel Mathers, declaring himself head of the Golden Dawn, even though both Crowley and Mathers had long since been kicked out of the Golden Dawn. (laughs) It's hard. He is obsessed. He is obsessed. He misses the
3: Golden Dawn. Does Golden Dawn even know he exists anymore? It's gone. The Golden Dawn has been
1: basically pulled apart. No, it's still going on like, you know, I, I would say I think Yates is still, you know, dabbling at it's this dabbling, moment, but it's lost yeah. its luster. Okay, everybody. Yeah. He
3: kind of popped it when he was screaming at everybody in the street with the hood on and everyone just watch
1: all of these fat men wizards all yell <sighs> right. at each other and yeah. make Let's- symbols in front of each other's <laughs> face. Let's just say, like when the lease for the headquarters was up, they didn't renew it. Okay. Yeah. So late yeah. 90s WCW. I got it. <laughs> just the old men screaming at each other. Well <laughs> well, with this letter that Crowley sent to Mathers, he also included a letter, quote unquote, written by the secret chiefs, oh. reinforcing his claim. Crowley later said that he did not expect, nor did he receive, an answer. And upon radio silence, Crowley declared, magical war! On mm. Samuel Mathers. No. Oh, we lost many,
0: many men in that magical war. Yeah. Just to oh, boredom. Imagine, imagine him trying to relate to a Vietnam vet. No, I know what it's like
3: to fight. One time I had to purchase almost 20 candles to defeat my enemy.
0: Yeah, I saw my buddy. He's, uh, his legs got blown off right in front of me. Cool. And we were being air backed out.
3: Excellent. And, you know, did, was, did you come in the stumps? No, it was a really traumatic. What a was wasted best, opportunity. He was my best
0: friend. I really liked him, but he's still there. His body is Hmm. still there. Well, according to
1: Christ, fucking Christ, man.
3: That's Vietnam. That's That's Vietnam. Wait till we get to our My Life series that we might do later this year. Oh my
1: goodness, that'll be fascinating. According to Crowley, Mathers sent a plague of abramelonic demons that caused chaos in the Crowley home. We
3: are here to mess up your day. <laughs> gotcha. We are here to never let you sleep. Have I we come and hang out in your living room. You can never watch a little TV.
1: Fuck you, <laughs> All day. First, Crowley's bloodhound suddenly died. <gasps> My bloodhound then, gang! Then a servant lost his marbles and attacked Crowley's pregnant wife, Rose, with no provocation, tried killing her, and was only stopped after Crowley forced him down into the cellar with a big fish hook called a gap. (laughs)
3: Dude, he had one of those stage hooks. I I want one so bad. I was talking about this the other day. Why don't why is there not more celebration of big hooks? Because I think it's extremely traumatizing to the performer and the audience. But I mean, like, why is there not like a thing? Why is there no Oh, hook nation. Why is there not like people what do you who collect? What you hook
0: nation? Collect- what are you talking about? People you know, who collect big it hooks. Was
1: run, it was run back in the 90s when all those Christian guys were, wore the fish hooks on the brim of their hats. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Fishers of men. Fishers yeah. of
0: men, which is what Jeffrey Epstein did to girls and that's
1: why he's dead.
3: <laughs> yeah, but then for some reason, the, so why is everybody going after women fishers, but he's like a
1: trafficker. Well, in response to the attack from Mathers, Crowley sent a cohort of his own demons. 49 by his wife's account in every
3: 49 of them. I <laughs> That's a lot of demons.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's led by the demon Beelzebub. He was at the fucking Vanguard. Oh, <laughs> but he's cute. <laughs> <laughs> there was no word on how this affected Mathers, but the magical attacks supposedly stopped soon after. It you can were. Just,
3: just cut to Mathers in hospice, just sitting there as the demons are all dancing around <laughs> me. And like, we are sitting on your ID bag. Oh. We are fucking <laughs> with your mountain. of, Get yellow. Out of And here. he's just going. (laughs) you know like no response and he's like and (laughs) alice crowley at home covered in egyptian wares, like i won i got him again (laughs) horrible well
1: around that time rose finally gave birth to crowley's first child and they gave the baby girl the unfortunate name of nuit ma ahathor hakate sappho jezebel lilith the named, baby couldn't even say that
3: if it was sober. No, and it's also like one of those things where it's named after Nuit which actually kind of I think that's actually kind of a pretty name. But it's eight, out, I
1: like and it has every to do with love and f- the book of law and all that shit, yeah. Sure,
3: yeah, but then the rest of it's like every name of every famous biblical whore to exist. <laughs> <laughs> which is a lot. Except, Except for a lot. Sappho,
1: who a, is a famous heroes, lesbian. Famous lesbian, which is cool. Yeah. I think that's no, like a great, is, Yeah, Sappho, that's, that's a whole that's and a whole different
3: level. It, it is called, it's cool names, but yeah, it's yeah. all of them, you know what I mean? It's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But even though Crowley was riding high spiritually, his professional life was in shambles. See, at this point, Crowley had been self-publishing books and expensive editions for the previous six years to almost non-existent sales, even after he slashed prices. It's a clearance sale on magic. Wow. (laughs) This is is just poetry. This is only poetry.
3: Is this kind of like when a band will do like a super expensive like vinyl rollout that no one's asked for?
1: Yeah, this is like this is like when Factory Records put out the Blue Monday single uh, on on they put out the Blue Monday single in packaging that actually cost them money. Wow. Uh, because they didn't think that uh, it was going to be that big of a hit and ended up being one of the biggest singles uh, in British history. Oh wow, wow. that's yeah. actually
3: the opposite. Because his packaging <laughs>
1: destroyed his sales. No, it did. It destroyed factory records. Wow. Because yeah, they because had, they to, had pay, to pay more. They had to pay for <laughs> each single. For every single in Blue Monday, they had to pay for it.
0: Yeah, that's... Uh, I wonder why the music industry collapsed. I don't know. So many good <laughs> decisions
1: were made. Oh. Well, to give you an idea of how low of an interest there was in Crowley's writing, his bestseller, a collection of poetry called Jephtha, sold only Ten copies. Ten was his mighty copies. Ten. And each ten wow. of the cardinal
3: directions of the universe. <laughs> Whoa,
1: ten. Ten uh,
3: copies double digit copies. I tell you what, it could have been eight. <laughs> Absolutely,
0: Alistair.
1: <laughs> As such, Crowley closed his account with his publisher temporarily and moved on. At least just for a bit. Oh yeah, and you can just see their publisher just being like, "No, don't no, go, don't, don't, don't go, don't. No, please
3: go, oh, no, go, no, oh, go. No. oh okay. bye, Alistair. bye."
1: When I say publisher, I mean the person he paid to self-publish his books. That publisher, it's... that was a sad day for him. He lost oh. a lot of money.
3: By the way, <laughs> I don't. I've noticed that your home is actually significantly lacking in magical beetles. So I've made you a little bit of dessert. Oh, no, it's supposed to be beetle.
1: Cake. <laughs> or perhaps in looking for something to raise his profile, Crowley accepted an invitation to climb Kanjinjunga, oh. the world's third highest mountain, on the request of a Swiss mountaineer named Jules jacot Guillermonde, who had written a book about K2. But while Crowley might have gone to this expedition with the intention of doing something great for which he might receive adulation... He mostly seems to have approached the entire affair with the intention of being the biggest bastard possible. Mm. He
3: definitely was King Baby during <laughs> the scenario.
1: Mm-hmm. In other words, Junga was Aleister Crowley's first public step towards a reputation that would see him branded as the wickedest man in the world. Ooh. Now, when Jules Guillermonde asked Crowley to join him on the expedition, he didn't mean that Crowley should lead the party. But Crowley wouldn't <laughs> do it unless he was in charge of the whole thing. Good Lord. Dude, I
3: just don't understand. Like, I wish I could like go back in time being like, just be talent, Crowley. You yeah. don't have to be executive producer. Just skate. And you could do it.
1: No. Um, and predictably, Crowley made all the wrong moves from the word go, even though he knew that the expedition was going to be dangerous. Before leaving, Crowley wrote up a will, requesting that he be buried in his golden dawn robes with his <laughs> crown and wand in a sealed vault with a collection of his self-published books. Printed on the finest parchment. On wait till
3: you see that I am what I'm buried with. Yeah, wait till you see what you're actually buried with. I know, that's the problem. You gamble yeah, and make all these promises yeah. to yourself and then you have to deal with all of these fucking unpredictable people. Yeah, no, we'll definitely
0: bury you with the crown that you bought five years ago at age 65 <laughs> to make yourself feel young again. That's what I'll do to we'll bury uh, you with that. We'll I'm be being re- invisible. Yeah, he yeah, sure. will definitely
1: bury you with your fucking fake Bigfoot print. Shut
3: up! <laughs> Shut up! It was I, it was for the moment, and, and it's nice to have three Bigfoot prints in my home.
0: Oh yeah, Henry's gonna want to hold on to that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Concerning Crowley's leadership, though, his first mistake was changing the route up the mountain from what Guy Armand had already mapped out, which took the party on a path much more prone to avalanches oh. on a mountain already known for avalanches it's fun and avalanche is like the world's biggest skateboard it could be fun <laughs> yeah second just before the expedition was set to push off on the journey on foot crowley invited along an italian hotel owner with no climbing experience <laughs> named alcesti alcesti rigo de rigi Listen, this is my spaghetti man let's introduce
3: ourselves to them the spaghetti man is just oh look oh he's got he's already got it bubbling ah al dente how I love you
0: (laughs) I love El Chesty
3: (laughs) tell me can I stay here on the ground and make an antipasti. No, 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 Spaghetti Man. You're about to make spaghetti in the clouds. I prefer to stay on the ground. Oh, you're going to a basket where
1: you'll die.
0: <laughs> oh, this <laughs> is a horrible idea for El Chesty.
1: Well, Carly well, said that he invited the Italian because Rigo de Rigi spoke Hindustani and oh. could communicate with the porters. But the real reason was because Crowley owed a sizable hotel bill and Rigo de Ridi agreed to waive it in exchange for a spot on the journey.
3: What's wrong with El Chesty? I don't know. <laughs> Why really... would you do this? No. It is not worth money. I don't know what so, to
2: tell you. You le-
0: did something horrible. Let me do that. Let me get this right. You're not going to have to. I don't have to pay you and you get to do this thing to help me out. Of course. Yeah. Come on. Uh, come
1: aboard El Chesty. Well, it was very dangerous. This is the third highest mountain in the world, and it's arguably the most dangerous of the three. Uh, and this guy, a fucking Rejo de Rigi, had no climbing experience at all.
0: He was a liability. Italians explore the seas and the Swiss explore the mountains. Sure.
3: But <laughs> Alistair Crowley, you can almost see him doing it because it comes down to the bill and he's just like, hey, Mr. Crowley, you told me to pay this bill. And he's just like, what if I told you? I can make you a bird. <laughs> it's like they go up into this, like, he probably sold him, being he like, must you have. will never be, you will not be in any harm. I'm a master mountaineer and I'm a magus. And you shall come with me and I will show you. <laughs> we'll be completely safe.
1: <laughs> and so, after the expedition made their way through leech infested valleys in torrential rain, <laughs> they came upon the southwest face of Kanchenjunga. Almost immediately, though, Crowley began behaving badly. Beating the porters and making them march barefoot across the glacier in order to once again establish superiority.
0: Oh my goodness! What did they do? Break his bong? Like you? Like when that person broke Butterball
1: and you no, took their the, shoes? No, this he was doing it for no reason. I took that guy's shoes for very good reason. It was I just know, a valuable no. lesson that night. It I was know. just, and he could have come back and gotten his shoes at any time. I, you started I was, this. Castle. I know. I was saying that in defense. <laughs> Crowley also wasn't very talented, or didn't put much effort into carving steps in the ice they were climbing. Oh. And two days after Guy Armand voiced his concern about this, a porter slipped on Crowley's poor handiwork and fell to his death. Oh my! Whoops! That's <laughs> horrible. Some porters believe that the mountain required a sacrifice and had taken it.
3: No. But the more. <laughs> but the that's, more grounded- what the, that's how the porters rationalized it.
1: Yeah but the more grounded of Crowley's companions knew that the only person responsible was Alistair Crowley. Finally, after weeks of mismanaging supplies and mistreating porters, Crowley lost leadership of the expedition. When Guy led a mutiny (laughs) Crowley pouting decided to stay behind as the rest of the men continued up the mountain, but he told the mutineers as they departed that if they chose to go on without him, They'd all be dead men. Uh, yeah. The next day, Crowley, unfortunately, proved to be correct. No! Guy and four other men were tied together, climbing across a cliff face, when one of them slipped on a sharp corner and pulled two others down with him. Oh my god, they tied the rope around the fat one. They, they
3: did, they thought he'd be the anchor, but they no. didn't understand he really then would become the anchor. Yeah, gravity yeah.
1: is. Well, what Guillermonde you- and Rizzo de Rigi managed to stay above the fray. I was so
3: scared, I should be I'm with the oh.
1: <laughs> But the fall shifted the snow and the ensuing avalanche dragged six men down the mountain, oh. burying and instantly killing three of them. Now, immediately after the avalanche, one of the men ran back to Crowley's camp looking for help, but Crowley ignored him and refused to help in any way whatsoever. Instead, he continued about his business around the camp and remained in his tent like a little bitch, saying that it was their own fault and therefore didn't deserve his help. See, this is every man and every woman is a star. (laughs) <laughs> yep. exactly. He, he's but, doing his own thing
3: because mm-hmm. he sat there. I'm mean, obviously the that's not the letter of the law later on, but he is very much like not my problem. They did cool. go on without him. Not to uh, not to. Blame, of course, that's the thing he gave. Yeah. Them, he told them what happened. I
0: guess. I mean, he well, also the, could have then been a man and been like, all right, I'll help you. But no, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. he could have
3: been a superhero that day, but he decided not to. be.
0: But what you yeah. got to do is you got to help, but also point out that you told you told them not to do this every single step of the way, but also
3: help. You get all yeah. the points. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, this uh, the Book of the Law, it has shades of objectivism. Sure. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely has that. Uh, it has a pretty strong asshole scent.
3: Well, he mm. is the, he's the ultimate asshole, which is unfortunately what we talked about. It. It's the way of the mages. Yeah, kind of. You kind of can end up being an asshole if you don't do it right.
1: Yep. And this inaction proved to be one of the worst decisions Crowley ever made. Mm. Even though there wasn't much that he could do besides recover the bodies, The fact that he acted so callously haunted him for the rest of his life, especially after he went home and gave five newspaper interviews trying to defend his actions because it became like that
3: movie. What was that? The force, de majeure movie about like that guy ran away from the avalanche when he Mm. he thought it was going to kill him and his family. And it's a cool Mm -hmm. movie. It's great. But it is funny to see he do because it's actually some of the most press he got. Yeah, was after this. And it was him constantly how did just the being story,
0: like... So how did the story spread that he was such a bastard on the
1: mountain? People survived. Okay. Oh, yeah. There were plenty. Of, uh, I think six people died over... It was three or six people that died, but, you know, but, okay. like, Rijo de Rigi never climbed another mountain. Uh, he should uh, have he been got,
3: on the first one. <laughs> no.
1: Yeah, he got pretty hurt, and so did Guillermo. Like, people were badly injured, but most of them survived. You okay.
3: hurt them, my pizza hand. Oh, don't hurt the pizza <laughs> hand. <laughs> (laughs)
1: sad. Well, following the bad press of Kanjin Junga, Crowley went on another world tour, taking his wife Rose and baby daughter Lilith along with him on what proved to be a highly dangerous journey. In Calcutta, six men in white robes attempted to mug Crowley, (gasps) but he claimed to have fired his revolver into the air several times to scare them away. And to escape police attention, Crowley claimed to have once again turned himself Invisible. You might have. (laughs) Next, Crowley and his family took a ship to Burma with the intent to cross over the border on horseback to China. But as the Crowley family were crossing the Chinese frontier, Crowley's pony reared and threw Crowley off a 40 foot tall cliff. Jesus! Now, even though this fall should have, by all accounts, killed Crowley, he claimed to have been entirely unharmed. He believed that this meant he was destined for something greater. So he gave himself another magical promotion. You win. To- <laughs> this another promotion. It was, it was exempt a debt. He was now at the highest grade of the second order. He's just on the, he is now equal to Mathers. So you were supposed to, the, hmm. there was a thing
3: to ascend to this grade, right? The idea is there's like a challenge or an obstacle you're supposed to get through to prove that you enter into these new levels. So this was, he was supposed to quote unquote cross the abyss. It is this thing where you're supposed to do this shit because what he is, what he says here, it is, how he viewed it was that he is on this roving trip that became accidentally not even planned in his mind after the fact it was him crossing the abyss and him falling into the crag and surviving was him venturing across the the fucking impenetrable land that he was supposed to get to and making it so then he's like i then assign that after the fact. But how yeah.
0: difficult was it? His, his wife and his daughter, who was like six months old, could do it.
3: No, they, <laughs> he was just him. It was just him alone when he it's, got thrown off the it, mountain? It's about aimless. This started as an aimless drifting trip that he sort of began to give form to as he goes. Because he's literally just going across China and all these countries on a horseback. Just doing bullshit. I thought that his wife
1: and daughter were along with him for part of this. They were. They absolutely were. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, they just... No, they, they don't matter, Marcus. They're there.
2: <laughs> but he's not... Yeah, he does yeah, yeah. not
3: consider them in any way, shape, or form. They're just... They are... Yeah, they are being dragged along
1: yes. with him. Yes, yes, yes. Well, this whole experience put him on the cusp of joining the ranks of the secret chiefs themselves. <gasps> and with this new rank, Crowley decided to finally finish the Melon ritual that he'd abandoned so many times before. But the problem was that all of Crowley's stuff was in Scotland mm, by Boskin, and here he was riding a pony across China. So, <laughs>
3: yeah, every day, <laughs> yeah. every, you know every time I find myself I'm like
1: <sighs> stuck on a pony across China. Mm-hmm. Of course. So, Crowley, being the magical master he believed himself to be, did the entire Abramelin ritual in an imaginary temple in his mind. Now, while this is to many,
3: including some of us in this room, This is stupid, right? And it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) But the thing about Crowley Mm. was that the one thing that he was really good at, which is one of the major skills, if you really do believe you want to do ritual magic, one of the major skills that you must have is an ability to hold images in your mind and develop images in your brain so concretely. Because if if ritual magic is anything but just self-hypnosis... This is one of those things where if yeah. you can complete a thing, because what they said about Crowley is that he used to play, you know, they had like 3D chess, not they they 4D chess, like, you know, that there's a term of 4D chess, but there's mm. like quantum chess, the yeah. idea that you would divide a board by like four, like it's like a 3D thing where you'd have a board cutting in the middle of a a normal planar board going in a perpendicular fashion and you play on two different boards at once. He was able to do these type of mental games in his head. So, and this is in ritual magic, the idea that you're supposed to build an inner temple that is like one of the common core things of the Golden Dawn is being able to, from within your own mind, build the sacred place that you're supposed to enter to.
0: Well, I don't know if ESPN is going to be airing 4D chess anytime soon. I it don't seems a think little so. boring. it is
3: incredibly boring. Yeah. But he also, there is some talk about there is some truth. He did put some work into the Abermelon ritual because he oh, he changed bullskin he actually put in windows because one of the things with Bullskin, well, one of the things with the Abermellan ritual is that you're supposed to be in a space where you can see a window going out in each cardinal direction and he rebuilt his whole house so that he could start doing this work at home. So yeah. he was do- taking it. He didn't stop <laughs> so he doing magical some, work. He, he exactly. hired somebody
1: else. Exactly. That, that's what it was. He made a fucking, he sent a telegram. He did. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. didn't do that himself. No, and no, when no. It but he came to the actual hard work that needed to be done, Crowley was not not the best. The, the mental work there. He was hungry for knowledge. I'll put that. I'll put it. Yeah. I'll put
3: it that way. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Well, by April, Crowley had reached Shanghai, where former astral sex partner Elaine Simpson happened to be living. Oh. She was also the woman that stormed uh, the the uh, Golden Dawn headquarters with him. Oh yeah. Mm. Well, he asked her for help in summoning a using the Abramelin ritual, and with her assistance, Crowley claimed to have made contact. In this gab session, Awas bestowed upon Crowley the Order of the Silver Star, Me? which, meant, <laughs> which meant that Crowley had been accepted as a member of the Third Order, which wow. in effect put him in the company of the secret chiefs. Wow. Now, at the same time that Crowley was fast ascending the magical ladder, his family life was just as quickly Falling apart seems to go hand in hand. Mm hmm. Rose Kelly's alcoholism was only getting worse, and Crowley, besides, also probably wasn't the easiest person to be married to. No way. <laughs> then, when Rose and her daughter went home from the trip to China before Crowley, their daughter, Nuit Ma Thor Hakate Jezebel Lilith, died of typhus. Mm. What? Yeah, it's a parasau- it's a parasite born disease that they probably picked up on one of these around the world trips. You get it from fleas and t- you get it from fleas and ticks and uh, mites and stuff like that. And
0: yeah, his daughter talk about living fast, you know, just one week old, getting hammered yeah, in the she, womb. She really is the, just Yeah, she really idea. was the
3: James Dean of toddlers. Yeah.
1: <laughs> wow. Poor gal. But Crowley, in characteristically blaming everyone but himself, decided that his daughter died because Rose hadn't properly cleaned Lilith's bottle. And it was the bottle that carried the fatal typhus infection. Furthermore, Crowley said that the gods had killed Lilith because Rose had failed in her duties as the Scarlet Woman. Because, as the Book of the Law said, If pity and compassion and tenderness visit the Scarlet Woman's heart, i.e. if she acted like a mother, then the vengeance of the gods would be known. Oh, so that would be a bad thing. It yes, would so When be. she was just
0: getting hammered, treating her fetus like a sailor, that was like, he was like, you're nailing it. That
1: he was. Yeah. That yeah. is well, what he thought. And that, but that's that that's why these ideas don't work. That's one of the things that Crowley that that Lachman actually pointed out is that she was actually acting like a scarlet woman. She wasn't taking care of her baby. She wasn't. She was getting drunk all the fucking time. She was being the scarlet woman. But still Crowley said that she failed because I guess she's He doesn't her baby like her. She loved it.
3: Yeah. yeah he doesn't like her anymore. He stopped yeah. liking Rose. And so then she stopped being the Scarlet Woman that he wanted her to be. It's easy as that. And when it comes down to it, it's just like he just thinks she's gross. Yeah. And so. Alistair Crowley wants to be with a man. Okay. Yes.
1: Damn. Yeah. Well, still Crowley did seem to be actually aggrieved by the death of his daughter. And it showed in physical ailments. A gland in his groin became so infected he needed an operation <laughs> and his right eye picked up a chill. Whatever Wait, that may be. I don't know I don't, what that means. Is this like a thing that happens to people who are
0: mourning the death of a child? A gland in their crotch forms? Is that like, <laughs> I don't or know.
3: did he just get that through a series of horrible lifestyle decisions? I don't know. Sometimes mm-hmm. you lose a child then you post a very controversial social media post that well, gets a
0: lot of attention. And yes, and then somebody plays it
1: on our last stream on the left. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm, I'm
3: looking remember.
2: at
0: you, Mr. Travis, Travis
2: Morningstar.
1: <laughs> the grief, however, didn't last long because soon after the death of their first child, Rose gave birth to the second. Oh, no. This one was more simply named Lolo Zaza after a (laughs) nickname given to Crowley's mistress, Vera Snip. They
3: cut out 90% of the first name. It is weird to give your daughter the name... Like, I guess it's a part of what it is. He's such a, again, a diabolist. So everything has to be whatever's the most fucking twisted and <laughs> gross shit. But the idea of like naming someone's being like, this is essentially my, my, my side chick. I'm like yeah. naming my daughter after my side chick.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Now, is at this point in Crowley's life when he could have settled down? I mean, his first child had died, another one had come, and Crowley, he'd actually shown some inkling of humanity in the process, outside, of course, the mystical blame game. Have
3: you seen the pictures of them? The, the family pictures of Aleister yeah. Crowley? And them, and It is so fucking weird. It's like Uncanny Valley to watch Aleister Crowley. It's like, he's got the, the one daughter that's now all, the new alive one that he, guess, he likes. <laughs> he likes the new
0: one. He likes the new yeah. one. And
3: they're all like laughing and smiling. And there's these like pictures where we're like, oh, he was almost Like he almost became kind of normal and he got into a routine for a period of time, Mm, like being a a family man.
1: Yeah, because the child uh, was uh, the second child was born with, you know, of course, fetal alcohol syndrome, uh, but had also, you know, almost died. And he himself, like, sat by the bedside. He provided oxygen to her. You know, he breathed into her, breathed life into her. Yeah. Uh, And he did show some affection for the child. And you read in his diaries that he's very happy that his child had died. And he has this moment when he could have just quit all of it and just become a guy. Okay, but- I give you a little oxygen, and now we'll give you a little
0: snip of snaps Don't tell mama. <laughs> sip of schnapps. And then <laughs> and a little for oxygen.
3: me, and then I have
1: a little bit of <laughs> schnapps, and I have a little bit of I am schnapps. a great father. But instead, Crowley abandoned his new daughter and oh. chose magic. Damn
0: it, and, all he had to do was keep the kid drunk and just hang <laughs> out with it. <laughs> no, it's not Wisconsin,
3: buddy. This is <laughs> Europe.
1: <laughs> and he began discussing the founding of a new magical order with his old buddy, George Cecil Jones. Using a whole shitload of hash, Crowley <laughs> finally compete, Crowley finally completed the Abramellan ritual and claimed that as a result, his consciousness had absorbed that Of his guardian angel, Awas, which made Crowley even more powerful. Well, after that, George Cecil Jones agreed with Crowley's assumption that he had reached the Third Order and joined the Secret Chiefs. The Zest had returned to Crowley's life. The
2: (laughs) heat! I just...
3: I don't even want to be invisible anymore
2: Wow (laughs)
0: Dude I feel bad for the secret chiefs Everyone that wants to hang out with them Is Aleister Crowley They're all his
3: phantom friends But that's how you make friends guys If you don't have any friends Build friends in your mind Because now he's walking down the street He's got a little pep He's wearing his full outfit He's fucking high-fiving people They don't want him anywhere near him You know what I mean It's
1: fun Yeah and he's he's about to start forming Like his magic crew Yeah the The weird little dude that follow him around like a bunch of fucking puppies. His work so, oh, pack. Uh, <laughs> Baba Booey. Well, soon he decided to get back into publishing by releasing a collection of his works. The world was ready.
3: Finally. Woo. I mean,
0: honestly, how did the world change to
1: become ready? <laughs> um, he decided to do it then. Okay. To promote the sale, Crowley offered a prize of 100 pounds to the person who wrote the best critical essay of his work. We should have done this for our book. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He just paid someone to write a good review. Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) Now, from what Crowley wrote in his confessions, his work at that time was being written about by, quote, the most important people in the world of letters, Mm -hmm. who had called Crowley... The only living poet of any magnitude. And I'll wow. tell
3: you the name of the man who wrote that st- astounding review. Yeah? His name was Alistair. You
0: have to come up with a different name. <laughs> oh,
3: yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> any um, last name. You can even, he can his even be Alistair. Name was, his name was Rupert Milton <laughs> Bradley <laughs> Parker brothers those are, those are board game companies mm. I mean, uh, but the thing is what i don't understand about board games is that when you're playing a game you're not bored anymore wow you are fun you're
1: the greatest poet in the history of the world but at the same time Crowley also claimed that his point of view was so original that his thoughts were so profound that his illusions were quote so recondite. Oh, that's a cool that word. Most people were unable to appreciate or understand it; hence, the low sales. Oh, I totally understand being too much of a genius for people to understand your sketch
3: comedy. It's not <laughs> our fault. I'm too good. Yeah, at this job. In no way
0: is the world of entertainment. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that you should try to get an audience. No an audience no.
3: means you're no longer an artist. Yeah, you're yeah. not an artist. But he. Uh, it, but I will say in the the book of the law. It is really deep. It's just his other poetry is not.
1: Okay. But even though no evidence exists of these important people in the world of letters who so praised Crowley, there was exactly one weird little man who was a huge unabashed (gasps) fan of Crowley's work. Danny DeVito. (laughs) That man was (laughs) Captain John Fuller.
3: Hey, man, sometimes all you need is one super fan to keep you going. And you need it to be a captain.
1: That helps. Fuller, nicknamed Boney because he was obsessed with Napoleon, was the first (laughs) and only (laughs) entrant into Crowley's essay competition.
3: (laughs) Hey, man, sometimes you just all it takes is one. It's not a competition then. Yeah. Oh, like there's God, only one he person, and it can't be a competition. Hey, say that to somebody when you do, when you're running for mayor, only against yourself <laughs>
1: every day. Fuller was also an early convert to what Crowley was calling Crowleyanity, which was his first draft of a religion before Thalema.
3: That's what shows me he has a little bit more of a forethought about his work, about being a teacher, and be, there was like a dalliance yeah. with being a cult leader a little yeah. bit.
0: What about Altheism?
3: Yeah, it would have been better. Altheism, yeah. actually. Al- Crowleyanity is a terrible, <laughs> terrible name. It's horrible.
1: Now, Fuller had a bad habit of following bad people because years after he inevitably fell out with Crowley, he became infatuated with Adolf Hitler. What always and, happens. And wrote the book that inspired the Nazi blitzkrieg. Oh, In God. appreciation Fuller was invited to and actually attended Hitler's 50th birthday party. Yeah, dude, they sang karaoke. Wow.
0: <laughs> so Aleister Crowley was his good friend.
1: He was yeah. his good
3: friend. He went, to, he went to Adolf Hitler's birthday party.
0: Wow.
3: <laughs> it's <that>? just wild.
1: <laughs> Hitler in the wild. But back when Fuller was following Crowley, his blowjob of an essay, in which he called Crowley a priest of Apollo 100 million years in the making, (laughs) was published by Crowley himself under the title The Star in the West. In this, Crowley gave himself a new title. I think this is his eighth or ninth by this point.
3: And this will become his motto,
1: Yes, this this term. He called himself V. Very Viniversum Vivus Vici. Or, Fraudder VV, VVV, five the e's. Magister Template. Yeah, to Five E's. Yeah. Five E's. Some you can say blackout drunk, it works. Five E's. v Who's going to Five E's? VV. Yep. Predictably, though, even though the essay was published, Crowley never paid out Fuller the 100 pound prize. You don't oh pay these God. people. What am I going to do? I'm going to
3: pay you. You're here fucking suck on my dick. I'm not paying you, but I have an idea. I have something better than a one-time payment. How about you be my best Friend.
0: God. <laughs> Can I just take the money, please? No. Ugh. You're my best friend now. Best right. friend.
2: Fine.
1: Now, at this time in Crowley's life, his hard drug use had not yet reached debilitating levels, but his drug use was introducing people who had reached the debilitation point. What kind of well, drugs are we talking here in this, in hash, this era? Hot. This
0: hash. Hash, it, hash edible and opium. It's okay.
3: ha- edible hash, which I've never... I don't know what that's like, what that
1: does, but if it's like opium, it makes you... Sleepy, sleepy time yeah. tea. Yeah. Well, while on one of his drug runs, Crowley met a man named George Montague. Montague's official title was the Earl of Tankerville. Yep. But due to his <laughs> massive cocaine addiction, Crowley called him the Earl of Coke and Crankham. <laughs> can, par- can you imagine
3: if your drug dealer? Can you imagine if your drug dealer also had a land title? But
1: what the hell is he wasn't he was, he was his drug dealer. They went to the same drug dealer. He was they, a guy that he met at his drug dealer's house and both just having coked up because
3: coked up like magic conversations have Dude. to be so interesting, but also
1: fucking awful. Don't
3: write a match in
1: Tankerville. <laughs> Everyone is covered in oil.
0: What is this
1: place? <laughs> now the highly paranoid middle aged Earl was convinced that his mother was trying to kill him with witchcraft. And Crowley, seeing an opportunity to butt in on some family drama, offered to help. You gotta get this fucking bitch, she's trying to fucking destroy me, oh. man. She doesn't
3: fucking get that I'm
1: like fucking... I just, I have so much shit going on, I
3: have, I have so many fucking irons in the fire, and she comes in with like a cold pail of water, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm so fucking sick of this bitch.
0: For having so many irons in the fire, you don't have any pants on. Mm. Yeah.
1: But through that desire to cause trouble, Crowley also technically made the Earl his very first student in magic, for a fee. Crowley told the Earl that if he wanted to develop his magical powers, the two of them needed to go on what Crowley called a magical retirement, which really meant that the Earl was about to pay for a vacation in North Africa.
3: Listen, the one thing that we must do before sitting down to do our great work is we must go on vacation. Oh, I think that sounds great. Well, Again, he actually is trying to recreate the magic of when he went into the book of the law because he said that every single time he took a break, when he'd come back, he'd be super inspired. So he mm-hmm. would do these things where he'd go and he would go and fuck off. Mm-hmm. And that was, to him, a part of his process, which is actually an inherent part of the comedian's uh, process as well.
0: I love that chapter in Book of the Law. I need a vacation from my
1: vacation. <laughs> That's, That's a great one. One of the one. most beautiful oh.
3: passages, which says, mm. don't hassle me.
1: I'm well, local. I'm local. Yes. Yeah, powerful but, stuff. The trip, however, was a massive failure. Uh, oh, okay. By the end of it, the (laughs) Earl famously told Crowley,
3: quote, I'm sick of your fucking teaching, teaching, teaching as if you were God Almighty and I was a poor bloody shit in the street. That is yeah. a direct quote. <laughs> yeah. you got the- so you're fucking teaching, uh-oh. teaching, teaching. You're fucking sitting here teaching me, telling me you you're a fucking Ooh. teacher. I'm calling you a fucking teacher. You're the teacher. I'm the one paying for shit. I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you how to make money.
0: That's the thing when you're hanging out <laughs> with someone with that cocaine energy, you better be sure they don't get that sore on eye yeah. that white yeah. shit <laughs> on you because, yeah, he's just like, oh, <laughs> this is bad.
1: Tellingly, though, this statement actually shows that Crowley was taking his role as a teacher seriously but still the whole thing ended when the earl decided that crowley was in cahoots with his mother Uh and crowley Crowley just went back home
3: okay but he i really do believe that's why like up to a point i think he did start taking this shit actually re-seriously like totally he was a never he never stopped his search for the truth Of of his magical truth. He never stopped. And he really did start to get the discipline that he was told to get from Eckenstein. Like, he started really working on it. He's just a... He's just a shithead. And he yeah. did
0: have the right idea with the Earl of Tankerville. If you tell one person high on cocaine a whole series of things, you have basically just told 20 people. Oh, yeah. Because yes. the, <laughs> the mouthpiece This is before terrestrial radio. Yeah. The first AM radio station was just a coke head at a bar.
1: <laughs> Once Crowley returned home, though, he promoted himself again. Oh, my God. Again. Yeah. yeah, he gave himself the title of Adeptus Exemptus which officially made him a secret chief. I mean, he's now a secret chief. He is a secret chief. Yeah. Look at that.
0: Not so secret. His, but uh, but really it is interesting. Am I am I right in saying he took that seriously enough where he wasn't willy-nilly promoting himself per se. Uh, it <laughs> yeah, was for years, right? It was in in between, between each He was uh, following promotion. his true will. Okay. Uh-huh. I'll well give him some credit for that. He didn't give him the promotion overnight. overnight. Yeah.
1: Well, going off his new station, Crowley felt that he finally had enough clout to found his own magical society. He called it the Argentium Astrum, but it was more commonly known as the AA. However, as Lockman points out, it would be a mistake to see the AA or Crowley's role as a teacher as merely a money-making venture. While Crowley did indeed charge for the privilege, part of what makes Crowley interesting is that he believed with 100% certainty in everything he taught, whether it had any grounding in reality or not. He was a true magus. He
3: thought that it was all a part of the work, whether it was fucking with you, whether it was imaginary. It was was work that, like, loosened up the mind to allow you to do all the other ritual shit that he will eventually teach you the blow-by-blow of. Kind of makes it more nefarious,
0: though, don't you think? I mean, like... Even no, like he, Keith Raniere type, I think he believes everything that all the BS he was spouting. No, he,
3: Keith Raniere did not. I don't but, think so? No, no, absolutely not. Keith Raniere no. stole everything from Scientology. He's a complete and total fucking I'm not fake. saying he
0: didn't steal it, but I think he believed it. He
3: believed in himself as a teacher. Alistair Crowley, in his way, if you read the confessions, because we have the confessions that say like, because in the end, he didn't make that much money. Like, no, it didn't really pan out to really anything. He really Mm. was in it for the love of the game of magic. Did he like having a group of people call him magus and like make him feel lofty? Absolutely. But he loved the process of it. Like he liked opening up all of these gates that used to be closed.
1: All right. Yeah, I mean, he certainly took advantage of vulnerable people again and again. He was a terrible person for doing so. But he also he did it in the service of what he believed to be magic. And which means he was not strictly a con man. You know, in a way, Crowley is actually better than the fucking pastors at today's megachurches who take advantage of the scared and vulnerable every fucking day. Because at least Crowley wasn't pretending to do good while using Jesus as a way to fund multi million dollar tax free lifestyles. Look at this piece of shit, Marcus. Woo!
0: <laughs> unless those scared or vulnerable are in need of a place to stay. In which case, oh, it just locked the door. Lock, not doors, the, lock a the door. is not amazing the magic of a door. Isn't something? It's interesting.
1: I mean, Crowley, I mean, he may have lied about the manner in which the dictation of the book of the law occurred. Or he might have just given it a poetic interpretation. But he still believed in the end that it was Awas who spoke to him. He stuck a flag
3: into it, a esoteric nation. Like, he did it. Like, he went, yeah. he managed to come up with an important work, which is what most of none of us do. You know no. what I mean? Like, yeah. he has one thing that he did that changed the fabric of society. Well,
1: I suppose the point here is that Crowley never really made any substantial profit from teaching magic to others and didn't really care to do so. What Crowley really cared about was attention and notoriety, and he was about to get that in fucking spades. Mm. However... Crowley might not made it as far as he did if not for the adoration and assistance of an unkempt, ill-mannered, emotionally doomed poet with a piercing, nervous laugh named Victor Neuberg.
3: Neuberg! <laughs> <laughs> Neuberg! Oh, this this man is... Uh, I don't know how to describe him. Here's a, this actually comes from a description from Aleister Crowley of, of what no. he thought Neuberg was like. <laughs> He was an agnostic, a vegetarian, a mystic, a Tolstoyan, and several other things all at once. He endeavored to express his spiritual state by wearing the green star of Esperanto, though he could not speak the language, by refusing to wear a hat, even in London, to wash and to wear trousers. Whenever addressed, he wriggled convulsively and his <laughs> lips, which were three times too large for him, oh. and had been put on hastily as an afterthought, emitted the most extraordinary laugh that ever, had ever come my way. To these advantages, he united those of being extraordinarily well red overflowing with exquisitely subtle humor, and being one of the best-natured people that ever trod this planet. Well, I cannot
0: oh. tell if you gave me a compliment or if you were extremely Shut mean. up, you big you big <laughs> lip jerk. I yeah, nah. <laughs> roasted you, but you only
1: roast the ones you love. I, so, do you do like me? I don't know. I'm confused. Well, in the literary world, Neuberg is known mostly for publishing the first book of Dylan Thomas poems, which is a big fucking deal. But in the world of Alistair Crowley, Neuberg was the man who was eventually driven mad by Crowley's massively powerful anus. Oh my goodness. snap uh, snapping,
2: a whole snapping like an
3: alligator's me- fucking <laughs> mouth, dude.
1: A whole nother meeting to
0: under milk wood. <laughs> Dylan Thomas. <laughs>
3: Wow. (laughs) Holy (laughs) fucking shit. Did you just do a Dylan Thomas reference? I know a lot of stuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Wow. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. Thank you so much. Now, Neuberg was introduced to Crowley through Captain John Fuller as a young man with great magical potential in need of a master. I need
3: a master.
1: (laughs) 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 And pretty soon, Neuberg had joined Crowley's magical order under the name Omnia Vincum, which means I shall conquer all. And he began his magical training.
3: I wish we could change it to I shall conquer most, because <laughs> I shall conquer all really sets me up for a bit of a fall there, doesn't it? It's a lot of
0: work to conquer all. <laughs> yes, indeed, Nordberg. Hmm. Neuberg. 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 Nordberg, not, was, no, a, Nordberg, Nordberg. was a murderer. He's not O.J. Simpson's character in Naked Gun. <laughs> O.J. Simpson, I lost (laughs) him to the acting when I watched Naked Gun.
1: (laughs) I don't see (laughs) O.J. But even though Neuberg seemed to have the same predilection towards magic that Crowley possessed, Crowley in those early days seemed mostly interested in emotionally abusing his new student. In an attempt to liberate Neuberg from his repressions, Crowley got Neuberg drunk at a party in Paris then encouraged him to hit on every woman at the party while Crowley, behind Neuberg's back, told everyone in the room that Neuberg was a virgin.
3: That's a nice shirt you're wearing, ma'am. Can I be inside of it, ma'am? <laughs> and then Crowley's just next to me. Like, yeah, he's a virgin. It's not a You should even go and get him. <laughs> me is not even a this guy's this. a stupid virgin. And then like, they're all just... These women must just be staring at these two... Absolute boobs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Crowley thought that he was very funny. He thought himself very funny. Oh no! <laughs> and he was, uh, L- Lockman very, very, very aptly described Crowley's humor as forced. He is. Ah. He's just.
3: He didn't have a natural inclination of it. He just thought abuse was funny. Kind of like the idea yeah. of like the old like the puppets that like. F- like was it Ponch and Jim what the fuck are these things punch called Ponch and Judy yeah when they like beat each other he loved that shit and so huh. him like like playing quote unquote pranks on Neuberg were actually all like emotionally devastating I'm
0: sure yeah, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like it
1: no, this next one. He, Crowley eventually instructed a lover named Euphemia Lamb to flirt with Neuberg, and Crowley in turn told Neuberg that Euphemia was smitten. She was totally a whole into party. you. It was, <laughs> She's totally into you. You should totally go for it. This is me again. Uh-huh. He's just
3: like, "Oh, Alistair, you sure?" It's <laughs> like, "Absolutely, Neuberg. She can't get enough of you. She's been talking about it all night."
1: And Neuberg was naive enough to propose to Euphemia.
3: No. Oh, yeah. yeah! I know you love me. I know you yeah. do. Oh, I- Always. <laughs> he told me it was true and if you're
1: Alistair you're like this is working out better than I thought of course he's yeah. actually
0: proposing to it him. is very yeah.
3: entertaining for
2: him
1: <laughs> yeah and then Crowley like took Neuberg to a brothel and had him sleep with a woman and and then he convinced Neuberg to confess his indiscretion to his new fiance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my God. He is such an <laughs> asshole. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. He
3: made him go have sex with a sex worker, bring him back. And then he was just like, now you have to confess what you did. Tell her yeah. what you did. Like, oh, Alice, <laughs> oh, I, was, I didn't know. Why do I got to do it?
1: Yeah. And then Euphemia, she acted, of course, heartbroken and she ended it. And then after it was all over, Crowley. I mean, fucking Neuburg was devastated and Crowley seriously went to him with... It's just a prank, bro. It's just a prank, dude. This
0: is fucking <laughs> <like, laughs> be chill, dude. It's a bro. It's, it's a, a joke, joke dude. This is
3: how you get killed. This is how you die. Yeah. It's called comedy, dude. It's protected yeah. by the First Amendment. It sounds
0: like <laughs> Aleister Crowley is just an old timey version of man cow in the morning <laughs> in Chicago.
1: Yeah, and Neuberg actually refused to believe him. They had sold it so well that he said, "You're not. You're lying. I don't believe you." And didn't believe it until he walked in on Crowley and his former fiance uh, sharing a cigarette at post coitus we just did it yeah did you, <laughs> you didn't oh yeah. mike so he just shattered
0: this man for oh his yeah, own amusement for him. no just reason in
1: no well he said that he was trying to break down his repressions you know and and this isn't unheard of in that's you know, not with how magical. you do it. I know, but it isn't unheard of in magical gurus like Madame Blavatsky was known to treat her followers like shit, but, no, but there always seemed to be a point, and Crowley's never really had a point. He said nah. the point, he's like, the point is that, you know, I'm doing this for their own good, but he would never say... Anything why he would never say why it was for their own good. He would okay. just say this was for their own good.
3: He was dominating yeah. them and he was trying to make them his servants. It's kind of the way a cult leader does, where it's like you break somebody down up into a point because right. you want them to to be with you. But it's also it's interesting because we'll see. I feel like it all comes around to a point because he's expressing domination over Neuberg, but there will be a clue later on as to why he would yeah. need to then magically flip circumstances. Well,
0: that is one of the areas where he and Rock Terrio and all cult leaders are most, they get the breakdown part very well, but then you got to go with like, what, how do
1: you make a Marine? You got to build them back <laughs> you up. Build them back they up. Just Like
0: leave the pile of rubble, which yeah. is, yeah. uh, you know,
1: but even though Crowley was being unusually cruel, Neuberg was convinced that this was all a part of his magical training. So when Crowley invited Neuberg to Balskin for another magical retirement, Neuberg jumped at the chance. Ugh. At Bolskin, Norberg proved to be particularly good at kabbalistic rituals. So good, in fact, that on more than one occasion, he spontaneously ejaculated <laughs> during some of his deepest meditations. Oh, you're good! I'm
0: getting pretty good at this. <laughs> I'm covered
1: and come. But with that pleasure came, a- but with that pleasure came pain. Huh. Crowley made Neuberg sleep naked outside in the Scottish night for 10 days on a bed made of a spiny shrub called gorse. And it's believed by Neuberg's biographer that it was in these 10 days that Neuberg somehow contracted the tuberculosis that eventually killed him decades later. Yikes. How did the guy get a biographer? Uh, Victor Norberg was a, a known figure. I well, mean, he became little, one. Yeah, anybody, he's a little known. He's a little known poet, but you know he is. He plays a, a huge part in the Aleister Crowley story. Anybody okay, that
3: okay. touched Aleister Crowley became a center of fascination. Like that's mm-hmm. why it's interesting because it's more people trying to hack into the brain of Aleister Crowley to figure out like who is this wizard?
1: Right, right. Norberg also followed at Crowley's direction a painful principle from Crowley's Liber Juggulum. In this. The practitioner is punished every time they use a certain word. In Neuberg's case, it was the word I and Neuberg cut his arms with razors. Every time he slept oh my, up, that you is need a part. Of, choose a word like super like
3: Yes, use a difficult word, not I. But that's a part of the lebers and it's a part of one of the uh like one of the magical processions that you do. One of the thought exercises you can do that is like you eliminate the word I from your vocabulary because. But also, again, that's cult thinking because what it does is break down the individual into well, somebody who's ready for group I, thing.
0: How did he even do anything? Be like, I gotta go. God damn it! I gotta cut myself. <laughs> I oh god damn it! Like how? How would he even go about a date? How many times about you say third I, person? D- Yeah, you talk about yourself Ben's in third person. Ben's going to the store now. Don't yeah. you start. Oh, you wait. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Kissel's got a lot to say. Oh,
2: God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, in a further punishment, which also began walking Crowley and Neuberg towards a sexual relationship... Crowley whipped Neuberg's bare buttocks with stinging nettles oh. and hurled racial slurs at Neuberg concerning his Jewish heritage.
3: Why are you spanking me? It's got nothing to do with the fact that I'm Jewish there, Alistair.
1: My goodness gracious. Actually, that's where that's where Neuberg drew the line. He's like, He's like you, you can beat that. me. You can, yeah, you can beat me. You can do whatever you want, but don't call me slurs. There's no, that A lesser man does that, that's is what he told Crowley. If-
3: to me, it's offensive to my. Oh, ow, ow ow, <laughs> ow, 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 ow. Wait,
1: so Alistair, but his other friend was a Nazi. Uh, Well, I mean, he was later a Nazi. This is like, that's the thing about the Fuller. This is like 1911. Fucking okay. Hitler's not even in the army yet. Like, yeah. he's still wow. hanging out. You Hitler's know? drawing right now. Okay. Yeah. But just as things were heating up with Neuberg, Crowley's marriage was coming to a merciful end. By Crowley's account, Rose drank a bottle of liquor a day, and by 1911, she had been committed to an asylum for alcoholic dementia. Oh, that's bad. By that point, she and Crowley had already been divorced for two years, and when she was released, she married the doctor who treated her on the inside. That's just how
3: it used to be, man. That's how it used
1: to be, but she eventually relapsed and died from liver failure in 1932 at the age of 57. So sad. She really missed a lot
0: of history. She really yeah. did. She could have just held on for 15 more years. I you mean, that's, well, that's,
1: maybe it's good to die in 1932. Actually. That's when mm-hmm. uh, Crowley
3: died in 1947. So he actually got to see quite a bit of fucking history. Dang.
1: Well, Rose's surviving daughter with Crowley, Lolo Zaza saw her father exactly once after the divorce and eventually distanced herself from the Crowley name. Her son, Eric, however, is now a saxophonist in San Francisco, who lists oh. grandson of Aleister Crowley as a qualification on his LinkedIn profile. Sure. I mean, why not? Why it's not? It's about who you know. You gotta I'm, have sure some, it's got, I'm sure th- it's got him a couple of saxophone gigs. i am hiring. If I have to <laughs> choose between someone who's the grandson
0: of Aleister Crowley or not, and they're both equally good at saxophone, depending on my mood, I would probably go with a
1: grandson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after the dissolution of his family, Crowley put every bit of extra energy and what money he had left into an occult magazine the size of a phone book called the Equinox, which some consider his greatest magical legacy. Surprisingly, the Equinox was actually a hit. And Crowley might have made a good chunk of change if only his vanity hadn't required him to print every single copy on only the finest parchment, thereby destroying his profit margins. God, it's the it's fucking so factory dumb. records thing again. It's so
3: fucking dumb.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> I do. I like that he. I want our merch I, to I be like good. like it's good quality, like, but he also, yeah. he needs to have one that's really good quality, and then you have to have one that's a little bit less so everyone can afford it.
1: Yes. Crowley also started giving public performances of magical rituals at the headquarters of his magical order. And unlike the private ceremonies of the golden dawn, Crowley opened them to the public and even invited reporters. It's
3: very similar to what would happen with the original Church of Satan, where yeah. he decided to make himself, he wanted to be a pop figure. We've been talking about this whole time. Desperate for attention, wants the notoriety. And so he understands in a way of like, I. He's a, he is inherently a showman. And that's a part of, I think, ritual magic that's kind of lost, that he, he did really well, which yeah. is this idea of, I want other people to see these grand rituals. I want them to see the shit is real. I am a wizard and y'all are going to recognize me right. as such. Like I'm going to put my claim and say, I am a magus. I am the Ipsissimus.
1: Mm-hmm. One account of these public performances reported in the daily sketch said that after climbing an annoying number of stairs, the reporter was met by a brother in a white robe carrying a sword He was then led to a dark room lit by a dim red light where other men in white, red, or black robes were stationed around the room. Cool, cool. Someone began by reciting what the reporter was told was the banishing ritual of the pentagram. Very common. Then Crowley, robed in black, led a procession around an altar set up for ritual purpose. The the participants then passed around a cup filled with a mixture of peyote, opium, And fruit juice, which they called the cup of libation. Libation. Could have gone for more period blood in this, to be honest. Yeah, we'll get to it. (laughs) Yeah, okay. They then performed the greater ritual of the hexagram, after which Crowley read some poetry while everyone was coming up. My butt, my butt, the opposite <laughs> of my nut. Oh, Can you see the rabbit go? <laughs> Can you see the
3: pussy blood flow?
1: You are the best, Alistair. Once everyone was fucking oh. tripping balls, <laughs> Neuberg took center stage Uh-oh. and danced the dance of shrinks and Pan in honor of their lady, Artemis. <laughs> this is the thing, man. And then so the mainstream
0: have... man screamed, that's gotta be Kane!"
1: <laughs> you are
3: sitting in this room. It's kind of cool up to a point. You know what I mean? A couple of libations yeah. going around. You're starting to feel the trip come on. Yeah. It's super fucking kind You're like, what the fuck's going to happen? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> fucking Neuberg. <happened. laughs> Steps into the center, right? Neuberg, who the, is the, the landlord from
0: the Big Lebowski? It is, it's, no, it's hard to
3: describe yeah. it. He's like the world's biggest fan, like the you know, the, like Tenacious D have like the number one fan, dude. It's like it's just like it's that guy. He comes in with his weird glasses, and his clothes all askew, and then all this whole magical <laughs> environment, and then it's him going, "Oh, hello, good guy," like doing like fucking like doing the robot. Oh, I don't yeah. know what the dance of strings and pan is. But then do you
1: you're it's the I guy guess, from the Big Lebowski. It's the landlord from the Big Lebowski. That's exactly the what big, it is. It's a beautiful dance. It's a beautiful dance, Every, is what I see. You're forced
3: to watch this and then we're like, Is this the magic?
0: I I believe that it is. Yeah. It, sounds like, it sounds like a great time to be honest. Yeah.
1: Yeah. then at the end, an Australian acolyte named Leela Waddell played the violin and Crowley declared this temple closed. Awesome. This account was actually <laughs> printed in a newspaper and Crowley's infamy only grew because of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this seems like the most successful ritual yet. Well, it's yeah. very interesting because right? also
3: Pan at the time was like a hot like topic super like hot people yeah. were really into the concept of pan there it's was pan very a trendy. In, in
1: what sense like pan, the, the the greek god pan the half oh, man okay. half goat you could call it trendy it was very trendy because yeah, peter pan had come out not too recently a couple other things it was interesting
3: it, it but it was it was like the fashion at the time hmm. to invoke him
1: but perhaps spurred on by all this positive attention, Crowley found the manuscript for the book of the law that he'd supposedly lost years before. And in 1909, Crowley published the dictation of the guardian angel Awas himself. Wow. I can just see him finding it in his butthole after all those years. <coughs> what is,
0: oh, Let me just.
3: Oh, this whole book.
0: The whole time. You <laughs> sat on it. Remember when we were going in to Japan, you sat on the book. And then you never found it again. That was why
3: my butthole, beautiful, (laughs) beautiful depository.
1: (laughs) However, because Crowley had by this point spent almost a decade self-publishing his own writing in only the most expensive editions, and because he'd spent years trotting across the globe, he'd blown most of his $7.3 million inheritance (sighs) in just three. 13 years. See, as a magician, I made that
0: money disappear!
1: (laughs) (laughs) By this point, the bills were most likely being paid by Victor Neuberg, who, like most natural magicians came from money. Honestly, Alistair,
3: we should probably look at the row budget because it's getting yeah. out of control and I just <laughs> I don't want to tie no money is like a small dumb thing to talk to you about, but honestly, we should probably give a little bit of a look see to is, the summary
0: accounts because I, I think you're correct, Neuberg. <laughs> Who's In this a- guy? <laughs> <laughs> My name's Gartha. I'm here to clean out. Am I paying of- him? Yeah, you're paying me. Yeah, <laughs> Alistair told me to swing by. He said he was going to oh, act like a bat, and he wanted me to watch That him. was the secret ritual. Yeah. Yeah, Gartha. He said he wants one big audience member. <laughs> But in
1: desperation, Crowley even once sent Neuberg's family a letter demanding five hundred pounds if they ever wanted to see their son alive again. What?
3: Yeah, dude, they just did a fake ransom thing. They just to get money. They did a fake kidnapping. What did the parents do? I think they no. just no. They no. said no. Yeah, we don't care. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this like a cell however. You know, everyone always like, I need proof of life if I'm going to send you money. I want proof of death, and then I'll <laughs> yeah, send you yeah, some pictures. Yeah, exactly. Cash.
1: This lack of funds, however, didn't prevent Crowley and Neuberg from taking even more magical retirements. And in 1909, the two of them traveled alone to the North African desert where Crowley would make one of the most important personal and magical discoveries of his life. Come in turn, let us go to the sexy desert. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> now, to an outsider, these two were a bit of a sight. Mm-hmm. Crowley, at 34, had shaved his head... And was quickly turning into the chubby wizard we know him as today. You mean perfectly bodied Perfect. wizard? Absolutely <laughs> he entered right into that.
3: god form. Yes.
1: Yes. Neuberg had also shaved his head. But it left two little tufts on each side dyed red and twisted to look like horns, like the guy was a fucking buyer. prodigy, like yeah, the guy of a fire starter. Starter. <laughs> <laughs> This
3: is your magical haircut. neuberg
1: <laughs> 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 I,
3: I, I just feel that it, maybe it makes me look like a doll that's been left in a dumpster, like left in the rain and all the, the hair out of it. exactly
2: Exactly.
0: that's the sad thing with coolio the lead singer of prodigy and any professional wrestler that has the legion of doom haircut you just have to be that forever oh you
3: have to walk around like (laughs) forever
0: and ever like at applebee's that's just the way you look
1: but at this time Neuberg was no longer a mere student but neither was he an equal instead Neuberg had evolved into a kind of familiar for crowley i mean pretty much just there to be used as crowley saw fit
3: uh, for those of you, for translation, it's kind of like a pet. Oh, like yeah. he used him as a pet. Like he was yes. a Smeagol. Well, I don't kind think we're of. allowed to yeah. do a lot
1: of what, uh, what they did with each other. You can't even do that with a pet.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Not
1: anymore. No, <laughs> never. Now, the magical ritual that Neuberg and Crowley were planning on performing out in the Algerian desert involved Enochian magic. Essentially, very briefly, this was the magic of 16th century wizard John Dee, who was at one point the official court magician of Elizabeth I. He was essentially the last great magician in England before Aleister Crowley, or at yes. least the most well-known.
3: And the, the Innocent is a language that they use to decipher and speak to these angels. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was an angelic language taught to John Dee by his scryer Edward Kelly, who had in turn learned it from an angel named Medimi. Jellicle, jellical, jellical.
3: There's a lot of that. It does kind of feel like that.
1: Some <laughs> say that Enochian has a hint of truth because the language has its own grammar and syntax. But you know what else has its own grammar and syntax? Fucking Klingon. Yeah, Elvish, I was gonna say Klingon. Dufraki. It They've does. Got, got, <laughs>
0: but Klingon is legitimately hard. I
1: watched a the documentary. They're, They're all it hard. Is. But no, Klingon Elvish is, is also hard. Dothraki is also difficult. But they Why all are, do, they do have, have, have their more own. More difficult
0: gra- than Elfraki. Don't <laughs> no, let's not get
1: into a. Funko nerd debate. (laughs) Well, the point remains, though, is that no matter what we think of all this, Neuberg and Crowley believed in this stuff 100%. And the two walked into the desert with the intention of using Enochian magic. So what these two were essentially up to was a quest to move through what's known as the Aethers, which I think... Maybe I'm wrong here, but I think they are barriers on the way to total enlightenment. The way my, I, my, the layman way I vaguely understand
3: it is that, I mean, this has to do a little bit with the Kabbalah, but you're trying to make your way through the Sephiroths, like leading up to the top of the tree of the Kabbalah. So in yeah. order to become one with the Godhead, there are things, like the same thing when you look at the Tibetan Book of the Dead, when you travel through the Bardo, you're supposed to release, when you're supposed to release from this the wheel of reincarnation, you're supposed to face these like nightmare demons that t- are supposed to essentially just be reflections of the things that you're most afraid of in your own mind, and you're supposed to be, work your way through these levels you, in order uh, to...
0: You fantasized
1: about a large marshmallow man?
3: <laughs> <laughs> As you said, the most innocent thought, the most innocent thing that could ever come to mind the Stay puff Marshmallow Man.
1: Well, on this particular journey to the desert, Crowley and Neuberg were aiming to move through the 14th Aether. Interestingly, though, Crowley believed himself to be not the reincarnation of John D., but rather Edward Kelly, the scryer this was actually appropriate because Kelly had just as bad of a reputation as Crowley and once actually convinced John D that the angels had told him that they should do a wife swap.
0: It's been like this since (laughs) the beginning (laughs) of time. Honestly. All (laughs) right. First of all, no prince ever needs any of your money in an email scam. This (laughs) is the magician. This is the
1: magic's
3: version of a scam. Always. No one needs your wife. They are not. You shouldn't. It is (laughs) never never a mandate that that guy has to have sex with your Wife.
1: (laughs) Now, things were going okay for Crowley and Neuburg when the Anakian ritual in the desert first began, but something went wrong, (gasps) and all Crowley could see was darkness. To try and get the ritual back on track, the two magicians rushed to construct a magical altar to the Greek god Pan out of stones. The problem they had was that an altar to Pan required a sacrifice, Uh but there were no animals to be had. It was in this moment. That inspiration struck Crowley like a bolt of lightning. The sacrifice could be Uh his own butthole. We got here. (laughs) We're here. This is
3: it. We made it. It, it is, is another, <laughs> great, another great day to be
0: an Anakian god. What do we have today? <laughs> Butthole. This is not a sacrifice. I look to Crowley.
3: Look
1: for the magic that lay down inside.
2: It's
0: in
1: his butt. Wow. And he, he, he caught it. He, he clicked. Well, in Crowley's mind, the act of sex, the spilling of life, could be seen as a sacrifice. So at Crowley's request, he bottomed for Neuberg for the oh, first time.
3: Oh, this is a big responsibility. Don't think of
1: it as sex, Neuberg. Think about it as semen spelunking. Okay. <laughs> this was the true beginning of Crowley's journey into sex magic. And the power he discovered was unlike anything he'd ever encountered.
3: Slam, 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 slam.
1: Just fucking backing into it, dude. I had
0: a vision of a band, red, uh, hot he, he, chili peppers. <laughs>
1: Well, the thing is that Crowley, what I've learned, he did not back into it. What oh. Crowley was completely passive. And when someone was having sex with him, when he was bottoming, he was completely passive the entire time. Whoa, no grind. Well, then no grind. Maybe a little grind, but the wasn't a, power, a little grind. He wasn't a power bottom like, you know, other people we know. Absolutely not!
0: <laughs> I'll tell you one thing.
1: My older brother is not fun. I knew. He knew it yeah, yeah, like that. that's the thing. I didn't, I I didn't want I to. I, I, I don't want oh, he to talk about on it. it. He, <laughs> does, he
0: likes it. He loves it. He loves it. And it's illegal to make fun of him. It is. Yeah. So that's good.
1: <laughs> well, Crowley said that every particle of his personality was consumed in the act of this Whoa!
0: ritual. <laughs> Oh my
1: goodness! And he thereafter received a vision of his fellow secret chiefs, and Crowley joined them in the city of the pyramids under the night of Pan. Wow. Where was Neuberg? Well, fucking
3: give it to no,
0: him from I mean, behind. Was he,
3: did he get any experience other than having to do all of the freaking work? I think he might have been doing the thing that we all do when you go into sort of a doggy style position where you're like, don't come yet, don't come yet, don't come ah. yet, don't come yet, don't come, yet, don't come yet. <laughs> yet. Well, you just have to hold it in your mind. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. that. And then you always think about your mother and then you come and you're like, like oh, my like oh,
0: no! Or it's like, do I want to fuck the Dodgers? Why? I was thinking about baseball. Oh, God. Thinking about Mookie Betts.
1: <laughs> Unless you think that Neuberg was an unwilling victim in all this, he later said that this was the night that he fell completely, hopelessly, and eternally in love with Alistair Crowley. Aww. And it was this love that destroyed Victor Neuberg. Oh, no. Hopelessly devoted <laughs> <laughs> And it's with Aleister Crowley's journey through sex magic and his eventual descent into drug abuse and obscurity that we'll reach our conclusion. Starting next time with his and Neuberg's battle with the demon Kuronzon. Wow,
3: Whoa, cool. man! Oh man, we just covered one of the biggest, longest tales in the in any sort of story about magic ritual that oh my exists.
0: Goodness. Neuberg was a person. Never call him a tale
3: again. That's <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man! Oh man! Do you think it was good? The sex. It must have been amazing. It was the most life-changing moment
0: for both of them. Wow. Yeah. That's the only good thing actually so far from this story has been this wonderful sexual experience these two men got to share with with each other. Popped
3: open the whole world. Name another more influential day of sex.
0: Well, whatever that one movie with the two cowboys, Blue Mountain Times, or what was that one called? <laughs>
1: Blue Mountain Times. Oh, <laughs> the two cowboy yes. movies. Larry, like Larry McMurtry's right? Blue Mountain Times. yeah, yeah, what yeah. was yeah. it called? <laughs> yeah. Brokeback uh, broke mountain. Broke yes. <laughs> yes. broke mountain. Yes,
2: Back
3: Mountain. That wasn't real, though. That was a movie. <laughs> was um a movie. Marcus. No, but it was also real, if you think about how that biggest, happened? What's the other biggest day in sex history? Oh God, I have
1: no idea. Like it just sex for sex's sake, oh, like what? not it like, changed not the like world, someone, not someone procreating.
3: Hmm. No, sex uh, that changed the world.
0: Oh, Maybe when Madonna say, oh, had sex with the, with in, uh,
1: like a virgin. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Uh, I would Cleopatra and Mark Antony.
3: Wow! Hell yeah, bro! Oh. Yeah. Hell yeah, bro! Okay. Yeah. And oh, anything yeah. Sasha no, no, was graded, big fuck, big fuck. anything, big fuck, big fuck, yeah. anything yeah. Sasha graded also, big yes, big. absolutely. Um, but guys, we did it. We're here, and now next week we'll watch him slide. Out of his own butthole. Oh. <laughs> Into the gutter. <laughs> well,
0: awesome. Alistair Crowley Part 2. Thank you all so much for listening. Do we have announcements? Can we
3: give announcements to our audience? We can say. What does the power what do what do the powers that be say? Next week, we will have tickets for sale for an outdoor show Woo! that will be available for our Patreon. It will also be available for people who subscribe to our newsletter. I forget we have that. It's just an email, um, and then <laughs> I mean, um, it's not
0: Pony Express to your house.
3: But like you can do all these things. Like, so we're coming. Yeah, oh, don't no, coming. We're, we're
0: coming with an O. We're coming with an O. We promise. Other coming O. Oh. Well, he, we will have fun, and we will connect to each other on stage uh, if if the money is right. Oh yeah, absolutely. We'll <laughs> assume incentive to each other because guess what? We're not going to have any material. Oh, no. uh-huh. so no, we're we going we to have to make a it year up. and a half. I will tell you all about gas pumps. Can I get a gas pump to work in California? Oh, I love this. <laughs> that
2: bit that I'm working on. <laughs> I love this.
0: All of my great PlayStation <laughs> jokes that I had PlayStation. More like, play less, please, because I'm getting watched played it too much. I, I don't... Uh, that's a fun uh, one. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. fine. Less yeah, PlayStation.
3: Fun, but... That is, fun. Well,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. 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 Wow. Marcus has a bunch of Dark Souls jokes, a whole bunch. Just, yeah. to feel, yeah, just,
1: free, just feel free just to throw one out by, there. You yeah, yeah, wait. Take, uh, take 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 my Estes flask, please. You take know it. what the yep.
3: what is yep. the deal with uh, finding propane? I'm, I'm,
1: so I'm there's going to be a lot
0: to talk about in May, <laughs> and uh, we're really excited. <laughs> but yeah, so tickets go on sale. We're super jazzed, and uh, yeah, check out all the shows here. No dogs in space. Who are y'all covering
1: right now? We're really done. Uh, we're ready to start up soon. Actually, we are uh, right now. We are working on season one point one, which will be a bridge to uh, to season two. Uh, but that is going to be coming in uh, March, and just actually just a, a few weeks, not too long now. So yeah, we're we're working on it, and we'll be back with a, a big, big, big fucking band. It's gonna be cr- a, a bridge out of punk into something entirely different. <laughs>
0: Fingers crossed on David Lee Murphy. David Lee Murphy. A little dust on the <laughs> bottle. It's one. He's a one hit wonder. But if you could do David Lee Murphy, dust on the yes. bottle, great song. I'm um, all right, everyone. Keep on supporting all the shows. Top at page seven, Whisper. You know where to find all the content. Uh, we hope you're doing well out there. And of course, the last stream on the left is Tuesdays on our Patreon. We continue to get kicked off everywhere else. Every other platform. Oh, so <laughs> we will. The I show does continue. I don't even know what happened because I never thought we were edgy, and then all of a sudden YouTube is like, "That's a lot." It's like we
3: are. This is the most innocent. Thing. We got it from you. Oh. You it's like how I I say you made us like this, anyway. YouTube.
0: All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Again. Hail me. Have fun out there.
3: Power bottom, someone you love. Okay, man. Come on. Just do it for the knowledge. Do it for the knowledge and the love. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.